Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. My guest today is Leif Gash. Leif has been a climber for over 25 years and has spent the bulk of his career in the trades as a carpenter and electrician. And he recently made the transition to coaching and training and is the owner of Substrate Climbing Performance, where he does one-on-one coaching and creates customized training programs for climbers who want to achieve their goals. I bumped into Leif down in Waco. I had met him before, but didn't know much of his story. So this episode was fun. It was a combination of me getting to know Leif and learning more about his climbing history, how he got into climbing and how he discovered training and what led him to where he is at now. And I actually got a lot of really good questions from you guys, specifically from my patrons who knew he was coming up. And the second half of this conversation is diving into those questions which led to a lot of really good discussion and a lot of great insights and recommendations from Leif. And I think many of you will get a lot out of it. I certainly did. Some of the topics we covered include breaking into new grades and what to do when we feel stuck, how to be a better weekend warrior, how to design skill drills, and how to be creative with training and scale different programs to where we are at, We talked about balancing training with a physically demanding job, which is something that Leif has a lot of experience with working in the trades. We talked about the importance of mini goals, how to warm up for a hard red point when you don't have any good warm up routes nearby, and a lot more. Leif is also a very accomplished climber, and we talked about a few of the takeaways from projecting his first 514B several years ago. He's also climbed V12 and put up quite a few first ascents, at least as hard as 513D. I'm not actually sure if he's put up a 514. And he's also been through a major injury, and we talked about dealing with that and how he came out the other side and ended up climbing even harder than before. We had an interesting discussion about body weight that came out of one of the listener questions, and I told Leif a little bit about a chapter in my own climbing that I have alluded to a number of times on the podcast where I took dieting and weight loss a little too far in an effort to climb harder. And in case you missed it, I just published a solo episode that is about 45 minutes long where I share that story in its entirety, how that started and how I finally snapped out of it and what I learned from it and some of the key takeaways that I hope to pass along so that hopefully all of you can avoid making the same mistake that I made. So if you haven't listened to it, you can find an episode titled My Eating Disorder right next to this episode in your podcast feed, and that should provide a lot more context for that story that I keep referring to. You certainly don't need to listen to that before listening to this conversation, but I do mention it in this episode, and I even told Leif that my goal was to have it done before this episode was published. So I just wanted to let you know that it is available to listen to. And again, you can find it right there in your podcast feed next to this episode. And I shared it on the website as well. 
Speaking of the website, you can find links to everything we talked about in the show notes for this episode, as is always the case. And you can find those on the episodes page at thenuggetclimbing.com. Thank you for tuning in. And please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Leif Gash. So, like, like about here? Yeah, it's perfect. Okay. It's pretty simple. This is it. This is the setup. Okay, I can handle that. Yeah. Um, we can cut out the BJ part, but I am curious what you were, what you were just talking about. Oh, I mean, he's just, he's always been a little reclusive. Yeah. Okay. I mean, he not seems that, really, yeah, I mean, quiet. not like whatever. I mean, he, I've known him long enough. Like we'll talk about, there's no, there's no subject that we haven't covered okay. at this point in our lives, you know, but yeah, I think he just, I think he gets a little gun shy. He's a little shy. Like, yeah. But you get him one-on-one, like he loves to talk about himself. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. You just gotta, yeah. Gotta get a we all do. in him and, and let him go. Okay. So, yeah. Perfect. I'll, uh, I'll schedule more time in Lander and, yeah. and make it happen. Yeah. Back porch kind of a deal. That's like, okay. Uh, you know, after day at the crag, that's a little more. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of kid wrangling and other things happening here. So. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So what's the crew? Who are you here with? Uh, well, so it's interesting. This whole trip kind of came about because it was weird. You know, I mean, everyone's got a coronavirus story and fortunately <laughs> ours are like, ours is really <laughs> mellow, right? Like I know this thing has affected people like horribly. Yeah. Ours was, ours was pretty chill. Um, we were, uh, it was June of 2019, 2019. Yeah. What year are we? <laughs> yeah. June of right. 2019. So Lindsay and I went on the road. We sold our house in Salt Lake. Right. June of 2019, we knew we were wanting to make a shift just work-wise. Like the, I mean, we loved Salt Lake. We missed the hell out of our friends, but we were just working more than we wanted to. And okay. I mean, our jobs are great, but we just, we were like, we want something different. And so we planned this road trip. So we'd been traveling for like a year, almost, yeah, a little over a year. Okay. And then... Um, yeah, we're good. We were down here a year ago. We were here for two months with the Tildens. We we were traveling. They drove down. We met them, stayed here. We were going to just do a two-week trip. We ended up staying for about two months. Oh, and nice. then um, when we left, Lindsay's mom needed some uh, help after a surgery. So she went back to Wisconsin. And I was in Southern Utah when I ran into you. Yeah. We met. Yeah. And, you know, things were just kind of weird down there. You know, it was like, oh, it, like we didn't have a home and everyone's like, go home, go home. And I'm like, right. I, am, I am home. I don't know. I live at the RV park. I live in the dirt. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to BJ one day and he's like, yo, dude, like, you know, there's very few, very few virus cases in Lander. You know, the, the, the vibe is really mellow up here. I think you should just probably come up here. And I was like, really? Are you sure? It's not going to be an imposition. He's like, no, no, dude, like get up here, bring the trailer. So I headed up there and the trailer has been parked there for a year. <laughs> and it's worked out really great because we got up there, we started climbing again, Lindsay came back and uh, we were, I was out in the parking lot one day or at BJ's place and I saw these two ladies at the lot above them. And I said, hey, is this for sale? And they said, yeah, it is. Huh. And so we put an offer in. And as we speak, we've got a house going up right now. Oh, no so, way. Yep. Yep. Which is really kind of funny, especially like knowing, like BJ and I have known each other for so long. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah we, you just said you've known each other since you were three or something. Yeah. I mean, since we were kids, our, yeah. like, we went to the same church. Our families have been friends for a long time. Did so. you grow up in Lander? 
grew up, we both grew up in Cody. Oh, I grew okay. Up in Cody, and then I knew that. Um, there was yeah, there was kind of always a connection. Like BJ's mom moved down to Lander at one point, and then. Um, but yeah, so it's worked out really well. So the, this whole thing came about, like, I've just been working on the house nonstop, you know, trying right. to keep substrate going and like doing that sort of thing. I'm helping Steve coach a little bit down in Elemental, picking up a few shifts to kind of help those guys. Cool. And, you know, I mean, it's been a really mild winter in Lander, which is great for building a home, not great mm. for the water table sort of a thing. Mm. But we were kind of like, you know, we need to get out of here. Like this is, we've just been hammering away. And um, yeah, we rented the house down here. And so it's the Tilden family. And they're two boys, and okay. then um, Lindsay and I, and then our friend Dusty, who's uh, a sushi chef over in Jackson Hole. Oh, okay. And he came down with us. So, and Dusty pretty much lives in Lander. He and his wife pretty much live in Lander anyway. They work at the restaurant, and then they spend all their free time in Lander. So. Okay. Yeah, so we just moved our pod down here. <laughs> so, yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good place to hang out this time of year. I mean, it is. Yeah. 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 It's, it'll, it's normally February's in Wyoming are pretty grim. Yeah. And it's like, oh God, we got to get out of here. Yeah. And this February, it's like, well, I don't know. It's 50 degrees. I feel like I should be putting siding up right now, but <laughs> <laughs> it's been, it's been a great trip. I mean, it's been good for you. Good to be down here. A little vacay. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking in Waco right now. How's your trip been? It sounds like you've spent time here before. Yeah, decent amount of time here. Yeah, um, I think my first trip was in 2002. I was actually thinking about that last night. First trip was in 2002. Um, I had the privilege of meeting Scott Milton and Sondra Studer. Okay. They were in because I was actually living in Bend at the time. Okay. Oh, I didn't. Ran, know that. Yeah, ran, I had a brief stint in Bend. Lived there for about a year, and ran into them. and And Scott was pushing hard. He's like, "You got to, you got to come to Waco. You got to come to Waco." And um, which was a really it was an amazing experience to come down because um, he kind of like, we didn't know anything about the restrictions or any of that stuff. And mm. like got down here and Scott sort of like brought us under the wing and was like, showed us the park and showed us all the cool stuff. So yeah. So I've had it. Yeah. I've had a number. I was camp host one year at the rock ranch. Oh, nice. I was still running when Rob owned it. And um, <laughs> yeah, spent a lot of time, but no, it's been a great trip. You know I mean? Two weeks is just enough mm. to get the taste, to you get know? Ass yeah, well, yeah. And it's like, oh man, my skin's finally good after two weeks. Can't wait to go home on Wednesday. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. But no, it's been good. It's been good. I mean, it's always, it's always fun to come back. So, yeah. and we've had, yeah, we've had, uh, everybody's got at least one send under their belt so far. So nice. that always makes it worth it, you know? Nice. What nice. was yours? Oh man, I'm embarrassed. Uh, I did Frogger. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> on, what that is. On, on, on East. It's just, it's the anti-lay problem. In <laughs> <laughs> crimps or something? Or yeah, what? just, yeah, just kind of a 45 degree wall on oh, just okay. tiny crimps. That's okay. not usually my jam, but. Is we that, were... what is that? V? What is that? Uh, I don't know what they call it now. It used to, it was nine for. Okay. You know, a baker's dozen years or more. I think it's more. actually on my list. And I think but... they call it eight now. I don't okay. know. But like ratings are changing in the park as things break and, you know, of <laughs> course. break and grades go down. Well, and yeah, somebody found a knee bar on it or something, I'm sure. So they got to call it eight now, but I don't know. Either way. It was good. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Was that, uh, was that a goal coming down here or did you just kind of no, stumble into that no. thing? Yeah. I, I, you know, it's, it's funny because, um. Lindsay and I were actually talking about it tonight when we were leaving the park. I've spent enough time here. And I mean, I've got, don't get me wrong, I have got a lifetime worth of climbing here to do. I just have to start climbing harder. And at this stage, it's like, man, I, you know, I, I cherry picked for so many years, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to do all the V6, the classic sixes and all the sevens and all the eights. And it was, I mean, I've always had a good trip, but now it's kind of like, we go into the dragon's den and I'm like, oh man, I really don't have anything else to do in here other than like, you know 
hard, the hard project hard. grade stuff, you know, which is, that's a very good problem to have. Yeah. You know, I feel very fortunate being able to say that. So, um, no, no, no real goals coming down this trip. Um, it was sort of just like, you know, I mean, then there's new development every year. Mm. We know a number of the guides and it's always cool to just, you know, you see the Instagram videos or whatever, mm. you know, I got to yeah. check out that echo chamber thing on West. That's really super cool. Jason put that, that thing up. I think a couple of years ago now or whatever. I don't know. There's just always new stuff going up. You That's know? cool. Which is which is fun. It's always fun to see new stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. The guide thing's intriguing. I'm thinking about it. It seems like that's the way. Oh, these guys are the pod is pressuring me hard. They're like <laughs> you. They're like they're like you know you know this place better than than we do. You know, like you, you got to become a guide. And I'm like, oh man, and it's it's tempting. It's yeah. tempting. Yeah. You know? um, it really seems like the way. Yeah, and there's just there's always you know there's always new stuff to learn too. So that's cool. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, this this conversation is going to be a combination of me getting to know you. Um, sure. And then I actually got a lot of questions for you. Oh I, man. Yeah, I emailed all my <laughs> I emailed all my patrons and got uh, a lot of really cool questions. Okay. And I think that'll be kind of what we they'll be all over the place, but that'll be kind of what we we go off of. Sure. But Sounds great. You're talking about building your house. You were are you still a carpenter and electrician by trade or is that I I mean I you never you're never really out of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my, my you know my father owned a uh, construction company in Cody when yeah. I grew up and of course I'd work for him for summers and I was very fortunate his company was really high end and so I had the privilege to work with like really experienced builders and contractors and carpenters and um, work on really really cool projects you oh, know nice. like you know money's not a limit like let's just do something wild and, and fun and so that's how i was kind of raised when i moved to salt lake i became an electrician uh, which has been which was fantastic i had a, an amazing boss uh who was a climber as well which was super super cool that was a wonderful learning experience and then i got my journeyman's license there as an electrician but you know i mean i'm 41 i turned 41 this spring and it's just, I, I, it's a great skill to have. All these skills are wonderful, but it's starting to take a toll, you know, mm. after 20 plus years. Um, you know, it's just, I noticed it really, especially being an electrician, my shoulders always hurt like more huh. so than anything else. I don't know. Like I just attribute it to like a lot of overhead work. Yeah, sure. Um, but that was really one of the impetus for me starting substrate. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm still a carpenter. I'm, you know, I'll never not be a carpenter and electrician, which has been really fun building our house. I bet. You know, it's like, yeah, it's cool. oh, I finally get to do all this stuff for myself, you know, and that's, that's fun. That's a pretty, you know, kind of full circle rewarding experience. But I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not doing it professionally. Okay. <laughs> all those years, I mean, did you kind of have like your own dream house in your mind? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Nice. So, and this is not the dream house. This is, this, <laughs> okay. is, this is like, we got to iron out the kinks with this one. You know, this okay. is going to, this is going to be the Airbnb rental. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, of course, you know, like I think any, like, I'm sure it's with any trade, you know, I mean, you, you see the things and you get good at something you're like, Oh, I'm, I, I would imagine it's probably a lot like if you were a, like a, I'm not a car guy at all. Mm. Um, but I know, you know, my father-in-law is, and it's sort of like, oh, I bet if you could build your own car, like if you were a mechanic and you knew how to like build your own cool car, you know, I bet you're like, oh, well, I want to build this one, but I also want to build this one. And I, <laughs> you know, I definitely want one of those too. So it's a little similar to that. Yeah. Gotcha. Let's talk about how you came up in climbing. You started climbing in, in Cody? Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, my... 
I yeah, uh, grew up in a small family. My my dad was a contractor. My mom had a number of jobs. She was a teacher and you know housewife and that sort of thing. My dad was really into hunting, and we had a, a ranch. You know, we had horses and oh, cool. you know the dogs and the cats in the yard and playing basketball on the gravel, sort of a thing, um, which was great. It was a great way to grow up. My dad was like, you know, you're going to be a hunter when you grow up, and so you know, at age ten, I get my hunter safety certificate, and we start going hunting. And we were we were in the Black Hills of South Dakota turkey hunting one spring and it was miserably cold i mean my i couldn't feel anything for like days and i think we both got sick we both got really sick with like a flu or a cold or something and i remember we we had this big wall tent and there was a stove in it and and it was kind of like dripping and condensing inside mm. and my dad's like leif are you having fun i was like dad this hunting sucks and i was i think I was, that was 13 at the time and he's like well, what do you want to do mm. and i was like I don't know. And we ended up taking that afternoon and walked around Devil's Tower. And this was like, I don't know, it was like January or February. I mean, it was, you know, winter time and no one was around. And it was, that was, I'll never forget that day. That was so cool. Like huh. we, you know, you had, we had to park outside the the monument and we had to walk in on the road. And then we just, we walked around Devil's Tower and in the snow and it was, you know, really quiet. And I was like, dad, I want to climb that. And he's like, what? And I said, yeah, I want, I, I don't know. I want to climb up there. And so... We didn't really discuss it anymore. And then the following year, he called me into his office one day and he said, and then he was on a speakerphone and we were, we were talking with um, Sylvan Rocks Guiding School in the <laughs> Black Hills. And they're like, we're ready for you guys next week. And I was like, what, really? And so we went over and we did like, you know, rock 101 and yeah um which culminated in an ascent of devil's tower and then i was just hooked so and it was like you know making your own homemade harnesses and oh my god <laughs> i mean it was all the things you know like when you get started in the early 90s like yeah we didn't know you know i didn't know so yeah so started climbing in cody and there was there's actually really good climbing in cody um, oh yeah i've heard that um, is it is it mostly bouldering or is there a variety? you know there's at this point now it's a nice mix of both i mean cody's really well known for its ice climbing right like mm -hmm. there's phenomenal ice climbing there's fantastic sandstone bouldering i mean it's on par with joe's valley for sure there's just Whoa. not as much of it i mean it's 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 very very small in comparison but yeah. it's the same kind of rock damn um and that. there's a decent amount of limestone climbing and a lot of like really cool like kind of granite quartz climbing as well too okay um yeah, I mean, it was a great place to grow up, you know, like five nines, five tens, you know, and a handful of 11s and 12s to kind of break into as we got older. But, and of, of course, like knowing BJ, we had a, a group of us, we called ourselves the Fuzz. The Fuzz? I, I don't know why. There's no Damn. significance to it whatsoever. You can't remember the No, no, there, no, there is no significance. <laughs> like it was just F, we were the F-U-Z, the Fuzz. And it was a fun group. Of, you know, I mean, I think it was mostly, you know, not misguided youth, but like, we're just, you know, ki right. kids in the rodeo capital of the world, like who aren't into rodeo. Like, what do you do? Like, <laughs> I guess we'll, let's go hang up by Start these boulders. Climbing and, gang. Yeah. Like our little climbing gang, you know, which was, which was great. And it's awesome. I mean, I, you know, I still see, we still see most of, most everybody now, but you know, we, we've moved all over the world. Everybody's spread out now. Yeah. But yeah. And then it was, gosh, I don't know, maybe like 96 or seven, I think, uh, BJ's mom moved down to Lander. And then we we were hearing these tales of this town south of us that had all this climbing, you know, and they're like, they climb 513 down there. It's like, whoa, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> and then, of course, you know, the summer trip started <laughs> happening and then it just kind of, I don't know, it just took off from there. I mean, that 
I think I was, I, you know, I went to school to be a teacher that didn't pan oh. out at all. Okay. So, <laughs> and it was, yeah, no, I, I, you know, I was going to, you know, finish school and like do the thing, go down the track and, you know, yeah. went climbing, you know, started meeting all these people and I'm like, and that it was shortly after that when I moved to Bend, that was, okay. and then after Bend, it was back to Lander and yeah, Wyoming for the majority of it. So, yeah. I mean, coaching's kind of like teaching. Why do you think the teaching thing never panned out? You know, I, I wrestle with that sometimes. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I loved working with kids. You know, I always loved working with kids. Um, and, and coaching is very similar. I wish adults listened as well as kids do. <laughs> that would be, that would be, that would be awesome. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are very similar. I don't know. I don't know why the teaching thing never panned out. I think largely in part, like, yeah, I just, I got, I, climbing was, I mean, it bit me pretty hard. Yeah. You know, and I knew I was psyched on it when I was in high school or whatever, but you know, when you're in high, you're in high school, you don't really know like what you're going to become or what your drive is. Sure. You know, you, I mean, no you, you tell yourself you have this idea and you get, you know, pressure and oh, stuff. All I knew but... was that I was good at math. That's all I knew. Right. There you go. Yeah. So you're an accountant now, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think it was just, I, you know, I did, I went on a road, I was like, okay. I'm going to do this one road trip. I'm going to get this out of my system. You know, I'm going to buckle <laughs> down and do the thing. And then of course I go on this road trip and I'm like, oh my God, it's like being like in a rock and roll band, but you don't actually have to play an instrument, you know, <laughs> and then you could do it for cheap. I mean, I just, it was this, I, yeah, that road trip was pivotal. I was like, huh. oh man, I want to keep doing this. And then of course, you know, it's, it, it the beast feeds itself. Like, you, you know, the more you do it, the better you get. You know, and you start unlocking grades and you start unlocking different areas and you learn about things. You're like, oh man, like I got to keep feeding the need mm -hmm. sort of a thing. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And that's interesting that you and BJ both ended up in construction. Was that related to one another or? No, I think it was circumstantial, okay. you know, more than anything. Um, you know, I mean, I, I lived in Lander for a handful of years, moved away. You know, BJ's been there you know, now more or less his whole life, yeah. you know, other than a stint in college, you know, and his, his college sweetheart, Emily, whom he married, you know, they're, they're there now. And I mean, I think Lander itself is, it's a unique town in that it draws people in. I mean, it's not without its, you know, drawbacks for sure. I mean, it's a, a tiny town in central Wyoming. Like <laughs> that says it all right there. You got, I mean, you just got to know there's some caveats with that, but, um, no, I mean, I think it just is circumstantial, you know, like we had, the, we, our, our good friend, Andy Skiba, who was a climber who came up under Todd Skinner, okay. um, started a construction company and we got to work with Andy and that was, all, you know, that was just kind of fun. And I don't know, it was very comfortable, mm. you know, and I mean, the reality is, you know, we used to joke, I, the joke is still sort of true, I guess, but it's like, you know, you come to Lander, you got to bring your own job. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a ranching town of, you know, a little over 5,000 people, 7,000 people or whatever now, like yeah. there are, there's no industry there. You know, yeah. I mean, you got to have something that you're bringing with you. If you, if you move there thinking you're going to find it, it's probably not going to happen. Mm. So, which is what it is, but yeah, construction was a good, easy way to make a decent living for him and same for me. So, yeah, you know, but it's, I mean, we're both at that age, you know, BJ turned 40 in this last November and okay. I just turned 41 and we're both kind of like, we were lamenting today. We're like, you know, God, we love this place, but it seems like it gets harder every year, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah. just, just part of the, part of it, I guess. So yeah. when did, uh, when did training for climbing come in for you? When did that come into the picture? Um, training for climbing. 
When I was in college, would have been in like 98, probably 99, probably 1999, I think. I was living in um, like student housing with a bunch of artists. Okay. We were like, I was, I was going to school to be, I was going to be an art teacher. Okay. And so the college I attended had these like community housing and they're like, we're going to take all the writing majors and put them in a house and all the art majors and put them in a house. And the idea was, you know, it'll cultivate all this great stuff. And what I learned is if you want to be productive in life, don't live with artists. <laughs> it's just, it, and it we sounds had, fun. It was, it, it was total fun. fun. Well. But I mean, all we did was screw around. We never got any painting done or drawing done. It was just, it was nonsense, but we had this garage and I, there was this boulder problem in Cody that, and I went to school like 30 minutes away at a community college. Okay. And there was this longstanding project that, Paul Piana's son, Karn, had actually found on a trip up. Okay. And I don't know. We tried it for probably like three or four years. And I mean, it was hard. We didn't know how hard, but it was like, and it, you know, the moves were there and we could kind of do some of them. But there was one particularly cold winter. I was like, I hate painting. This sucks. I'm really not that interested in this. And I was like, I'm going to get better. I want to, I want to go do it. It was called the plague. I was like, mm. I want to go do the plague. So I started dabbling with some campusing. And some, I think I was doing like offset pull-ups. Okay. And then I had this, I had a, an old pusher hangboard and all I would do is like with my feet on a stool in front of me, I would just like circulate my hands around just to, like to yeah. all the grips. I'm like, oh, I got to hit all, like every one at least once. <laughs> and then I would reverse the circle and whatever it was, it was, you know, there was no rhyme or reason to it. But it made a difference. And mm. I ended up getting the FA of that thing. And I and that always stuck with me. You know, like it was targeted. Mm -hmm. Like what I was doing was very specific to that particular boulder problem. How hard did it end up being, do you think? Uh, it's V10. Okay. Um, and that always stayed with me, but I never really followed it back up. You know, like shortly after that. I kind of went through that, like, you know, the college growth spurt and my, and I, I had a roommate who was really into weightlifting. So, you know, I was like going to the gym with him and like, you know, I don't know trying to bench press and yeah. do that dumb shit we were doing, that, yeah. you know, <laughs> like trying to impress the girls. Yeah. You're a big dude. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you're jacked. <laughs> no, you're tall and no. you're jacked. Uh, what, what size were you? You said college growth spurt. Like what size were you? Oh, I was, into? I was like a twig. No I mean, kidding. I left, oh God, I left high school and I think I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like 5'11 and probably like, I don't know, 140 pounds. I mean, I was oh, just man. like real thin, yeah. you know, like I, I, the climbing I had done up to that point was just all technique and like gangliness, you know? Yeah. And then I, I hit college and like, you know, bulked out a little bit and I was like, I was just like, oh, cool. Like I've got muscles now. Like, I can do something. <laughs> and I am still trying to figure out how to use them. But, um, no, that always stayed with me. And I, and I always was kind of thinking like, I should do that again. I should do that again. But I mean, just the natural progression of going climbing a lot. Yeah. I got better. And that's, that's, I just relied on natural talent for, I mean, kind of a long time, you know, but yeah, almost, yeah. I mean, a decade plus. And mm. then. Well, I mean, climbing a lot is pretty good training. Oh, for sure. You it's, know, it's and, amazing how many people I talk to on here that that's all they've ever done. Yeah. Some well, and, and you know, I know, you know, obviously, you know, Steve Bechtel really yeah. well. I love Steve's analogy. And I mean, this, this holds very true, especially in the training game. You know, climbing is like um, climbing progression, I think, as athletes and just in, and I hate to generalize because everybody is so different. Mm. You know, like I really try and stay away from that. Like no two climbers are the same, but typically, you know, it's like a rocket ship taking off. Like it starts and you just progress 
you know, insanely quick. I mean, the rocket ship is going just straight up and you're like, oh man. But as you, you know, the longer you're in it and the better you get, it starts to like, you know, mm. do this tapering off effect. And and that gets really difficult, of course, as you get older, as you, I mean, you can't just always rely on natural talent alone. And at some point you have to supplement that. Mm. And I think, I think that was probably where I was at with substrate and like wanting to get into training. Mm. Um, not necessarily with substrate, because I didn't ever think of myself as like a decent, I was like, I'm not a good coach. Like I wouldn't know the first thing about it, but I wanted, I knew that if I wanted to keep progressing as a climber, I was going to have to do something different. Like I couldn't just go climbing on the weekends yeah. and it had to be something that was very deliberate and planned out. Um, and I think that's kind of what got me into it. And that was like, what are we now? 2021? Yeah, that was probably like... 2015. Okay. I think is when I really started to get into that. Okay. 2014 a little bit, but like 2015, I really started to like, you know, I had friends that were trainers like Steve and, uh, you know, Chris Hampton, mm. uh, I met, you know, at a climbers festival. And of course we became good friends and, um, but, and I was, yeah, but I think that that's when I was like, okay. And then of course, like you go through a program you follow it and you see the results and it's like, oh yeah, I want some more of that. <laughs> so, right. yeah. Right. When did you do the 14B? Have you done just one? Just the one. Yeah. yeah. I remember uh, I remember that podcast with Neely. I don't even remember yeah. if I ever listened to it, but I remember. Oh, it's terrible. Don't listen to it. <laughs> I'm a horrible speaker. <laughs> no, Neely's a, a deer for having me on there. Uh, that was uh, two, that would have been... I would have been like 2016, 2017, I think, actually. Okay. 2016 or 2017. Okay. And I kind of, you know, I kind of hit the brakes a little bit after that. That was actually a lot more mentally ta taxing than I thought it would be, hmm. which is interesting. I think only now I can kind of appreciate that. But, you know, now that we're back in Lander and there's been this, all this growth and development in the, yeah. you know, 10 plus year absence, I'm like, oh man, I'm... I'm back into it. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, this, you know, the house we're building, we've already got like a nice gym nice. space. You know, I'm like, oh yeah, we're, we're doing this thing again. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing to plan around. Oh yeah. In your, in your blueprint. <laughs> I mean, technically it's an RV, it's RV storage, but I mean, there's probably going to be a Woody and a Moonboard in there before yeah. an RV. So <laughs> nice, nice, nice. I like it. What about that process is mentally taxing or, or felt that way looking back at it? What do you mean by that? I, you know, I think one of the things, at least personally, that I've always liked about training is like really digging into the process. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and especially as a coach now, I deal with this a lot more from like the other side. But I, I think that's where people, f if, if there's any failure in the training process, I think that's it, not being able to stick with it. Mm. I think people are very easy, easily, not swayed, but I just, it's hard to like do the new thing. You know, like whether that's adhering to a regular schedule, you know, I mean, God, okay. just to get people to do something regularly, you know, it's like, and that's hard. I mean, that's hard for everybody. Like we have life, life happens, you know, I mean, it's very difficult to, and a lot of people, you know, especially, you know, families with kids, I mean, it's really difficult to say, I'm going to get to the gym or go climbing six hours a week for a lot of people. That's not a thing, you know? Yeah. Personally for me, I love digging into the process and I'm like, okay, I'm going to hit all these workouts. I'm going to do all the things I'm not going to skip and we're going to do it. And I really do love kind of how we adapt. 
I love how I adapt to that. I mean, I've seen it a number of times now and I really respect that process. Like you get in the groove and... Well, yeah. And it's like, I mean, it takes time. You know, that's the other thing. I think that's another short-sighted thing that happens with people when they get into, they want to do training, but it's like, you got to understand, like, it takes time. Like these are not changes that happen over just a course of a couple of weeks, you know, I mean, it, and especially with older athletes, it's like, I mean, this takes months, like yeah. many, many months. And you have to, you have to be diligent through that process. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love seeing the adaptations. Like, I think that's, it's very empowering for me. And I think it's very empowering for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You know, that route that I did the 14B at the pop tire cave was. What's it called? It's called less than zero. Okay. We call it the queen line. Cause it's sort of like, um, I don't know. That's it's kind of an, a unique cave, but there's like you know the king line comes out the back of this you know wickedly long cave. It's probably l- longer than it, or steeper than it is high. You know, I mean, it's yeah. like just you're upside down for a tremendous amount of time. Um, and the queen line just sort of takes like an easier, not even an easier, just a shorter intro. Okay. But I had done I had done a training program with Dan Mursky, who's a, a buddy of mine, and I was recovering from a shoulder rehab thing, and that's how I actually came to work with him. Okay. Um, my PT was recommended. Um, well, Esther Smith. I do you know Esther? Yeah, I met Esther. Yeah, so yeah, Esther I haven't was, met her in person, but yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah, I love Esther. Her she's she does amazing things. Um, her and her team do. Um, but she, she's like. Yeah, you got emailed back and forth. She helped me out with a finger injury at one point. Yeah, she really, really knows her stuff. I mean, she's, I always, the the running joke is if Esther tells me to stand on my head and eat lima beans, I do it. It's (laughs) it's probably going to work. But anyway, yeah, I worked with Dan and uh, I, I had done a 14A out there. That was our goal. That was my goal working with Dan. And I did that. But it was that process, you know, like I came down and of course I was all smiles, but immediately I'll never forget that. Like as I was untying, I looked back behind me and was like, yeah, you're next. You know, I was t- I was like, oh, yeah, I can do that thing. And, nice. it, and it was it, that was an incredibly gratifying process. Yeah. But it took you know, almost two years. I mean, it was a year Mm. and a half of like, you know, it's a short season, spring and fall, there are raptor closures. So we weren't always guaranteed a full spring season, you know, wetness concerns. I mean, it's Western limestone, you know, like it seeps. So, um, yeah, I mean that, that process was, it was cool and I enjoyed it, but it was, it was very much like, you know, after like, two seasons on that thing, I was like, man, all my eggs are in this basket. Mm. And that, you know, when I hear myself say that out loud, it's like, if you're really committed to this process, like is two seasons really that long? Like, no, probably not. Like if you're really wanting to dig in, if you're really serious, but like when you're in the middle of it, life feels pretty damn short, you know, you're like, man, I spent a whole year trying this one thing. I spent, you know, I, I mean, right. So we have spring season, Fall season, yeah. spring season. I mean, no, like those are the best climbing seasons. And I spent three anywhere, and, yeah, yeah, consecutively, yeah, totally. like yeah. working on one thing. And it was really gratifying, of course. Like, I mean, that that ascent, and of course, like the training that I went through to get to it, like meant a lot. Mm. But it definitely was like, man, this was a long process. And I, you know, at, and at the time, you know, I was really getting into to the electrical trade, which mm. was very mentally taxing as well. And I really wanted to do well with that. And it was like, I just don't feel like I want to go through that. Pro- like, I need to take a break, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. So I think just the, the, the process of like fully committing to something like that, it's not without its drawbacks, mm-hmm. you know, like I got stronger. I did the route. 
that was amazing. I'm sure there are some things that I sacrificed, mm-hmm. you know, in that process, you know, probably, you know, didn't pay attention to, you know, my relationship as much as I could have, mm-hmm. or I'm sure I didn't commit myself as much as I could have to work, you know, I mean, the, and it, not that that ever ended up, you know, being big negatives, but I'm sure that there are a lot of things that were, you know, maybe fell to the wayside. Yeah. That'll take, uh, you know, take years to kind of figure that out what those were. So, yeah. Do you feel like you came out the other side, a better climber? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You noticed it on other routes moving forward from that? Yeah. Not even just physically. I mean, Oh, okay. I mean, not even just physically, but like having the mental fortitude to really stick with something and be like, I'm going to do what it takes to do this thing, Hmm. which was, that was just a cool process because, you know, when I started, I had this picture in my mind of what, you know, this is the linear process. Like, this is how we get better. And this is how we send the route. And of course it never ends up like that. Right. You know, it's like, instead of like point A and point B in a straight line, it's that weird squiggly thing. And, uh-huh. You know, it circles back around and all that, which is great. I mean, that's when you really, I mean, it's the journey, right? Like that's where you learn all the, you know, the intangibles. Um, it was, it was a cool process. It was a cool process. I mean, it, I came out stronger. I came out a better climber having new, you know, tools in my, in my tool bag, I would guess I would say. Yeah. But also just, yeah, mentally, like being able to commit to something for that long Mm -hmm. and really like give yourself to that process and what it, like what it took to get there. I think that has, I know that that's helped climbing, but it's carried over into a lot of other things. Cause Mm -hmm. after that, it was sort of like, I did that route kind of was pumping the brakes on climbing a little bit. And that's when I really started looking at like testing out for my electrician's license. Okay. And which is, you know, I, like you said, you're good at math. That's like, uh, yeah, that's my Achilles heel. I'm okay. terrible at math. God, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I was in high school. I don't even, I haven't done math in years. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's what that we was have an smartphones. <laughs> yeah, totally. You don't need math. Um, no, but I mean, that was a very difficult process mm. for me. I don't, for some guys, I think it just comes together, you know, like the actual construction of electrical components and like wiring a house and stuff that came very quickly. But when it came time to test, it was like, we got to know about theory and about code and about all that sort of stuff. And that was really, really challenging for me. Mm. I mean, there, you know, I, I mean, I have no shame in admitting I failed the test a number of times. Like I had to take it a few times and that was like, as an adult, that was really hard. Yeah. You know, like I, you know, I thought I, cause I'd just done this amazing climbing thing. And then it's like, all you got to do is know this code book, like here it's open right in front of you. And I, you know, I couldn't pass that. And I was like, Oh, you gotta be kidding. Me. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I think there was a lot of that. I would say there was mental carryover, you okay. know what I mean? Like yeah. coming from just like, okay, commit to the process, like learn. And if that's not working, then we adjust and we, you know, kind of course correct and like keep aiming at the goal. Like just got to keep at it. So yeah. that was definitely something that I've like another, you know, sort of intangible that I took away. And then what was the spark that led to substrate? I knew that I wanted to get out of the trades. Okay. Just because when I was young, you know, working with construction workers, they're like, don't do this shit when you're old. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm like, you know, of course, as like a 20 year old, you're like, you can't kill me. Like, I'm not, I'm, that's never going to happen to me. I'm invincible. I'm never going to be old like you. No. Yeah. Oh, of course. I told, I'm so guilty of saying all those things, you know? 
And then all of a sudden one day, you you know, like I wake up and like BJ said the other day, he's like, I have to sit down to put my socks on. I'm like, you too? <laughs> it's like, oh God. You know, it's like, where did this low back pain come from? It's like, oh man, okay, it's happening. And I mean, there was, there was that awareness, right? Where you're like, I don't want to keep beating myself up for a paycheck anymore. Mm. You know, like there's got to be some, there's got to be something on the other end of this. Mm. And I don't, you know, Lindsay and I have talked, had talked long about, she's like, well, what do you want to do? You want to get back into teaching? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, like I've, I've been out of that for so long. Like, I don't know if that's my thing. And it was actually that podcast that I did with Neely. Mm. Neely and Lindsay grew up to, or not grew up together, but they went to college together and we've known Neely for a long time. And she and, and I were, and Lindsay were sitting at the picnic table at the Climbers Festival in Lander one summer. And she was really interested in, in that the process that I trained for, for less than zero. And she's like, I'd love to have you on the, you know, the show. I was like, Oh God, I, what am I going to talk about? Like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to say, um, too many times. We had a really fun process, you know, did the interview and I, my Instagram feed just started blowing up Hmm. after that with just people saying, you know, there's a number of, uh, there's too many to mention, but I remember a handful. There was a guy, he was a railroad worker in Texas. He's like, I'm a single father. Uh, you know, I'm working on the railroad. I, you know, I'm, I'm at 13, climbing 13A right now. I really want to do a 13C. Like, wh- what can you recommend? And I'm like, oh, well, I, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know. I need more information, you know? And like, right. you know, keep, keep at it, keep training, you know? And I mean, there were so many messages like that of people that I could really relate to, like blue collar workers, you know, parents just like, I have, I have limited time. You know, I listen to your podcast. Like we, you know, it sounds like we're similar. What, you know, what can I do? Yeah. And I wanted to give all of them, like I immediately, I had all these ideas, you know, like, oh, you, you should do this and this and this. <laughs> and I stopped myself cause I was writing one guy back and I stopped myself. I'm like, you know what? I know just enough to get this guy in trouble. Hmm. I don't know enough about this subject. I mean, I know what I've done, but I don't really feel like I have a good base, you know, like a broad base to really give good information. And this is important to me. Like this is a subject that's very close to my heart. And I, you know, I don't want to hurt somebody. I don't want to give them poor information. And I was like, I need to know more about training before I start telling people what I think they should do. And that was really the kick when I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Cool. I want to start a training company and I, w- I want to learn about this. I want to continue learning. I want to get better, you know, and I want to be able to share these things that I've, I've experienced with other people and hopefully, you know, I mean, it's enriched my life and I'd like to be able to pass that on. So, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. How did you go about educating yourself as far as climbing specific training? Dude, YouTube university, oh, everything right. you need to know is on there. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no, um, <laughs> Actually, I reached out to Steve Bechtel. Yeah. I mean, I've known Steve since, you know, I was 16 years old. And I was like, at the time, Lindsay was working for the University of Utah. And I had access to, you know, like cheaper tuition classes and stuff. And I said, Steve, like, I'm thinking about doing this thing. Like, what, you know, like, which anatomy class should I take? And mm. that sort of stuff. And and then we started an email dialogue. And, and he kind of like steered me in the right direction. He's like, you know, yeah, check out this book, like start here and, you know, go from there. And then it was like, I don't know, sort of once I figured out that I wanted to do it, it was like, there was information everywhere. I mean, you know, like all you have to do is hit Google up, like right. training, you know what? I mean, there's so much information. <laughs> 
Some good, some bad. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's that's the modern challenge that we all face. Yeah. Just this fire hose of different information. Oh, totally drinking from the fire hose. And yeah. you have to be, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I had good guidance. I had a lot of help from Bechtel and, you know, Chris Hampton, of course. Like, I mm. called Chris and I was like, yo, dude, I'm thinking about doing this. I'm not really sure. And he's like, no, no, you'll, you know, like, he gave me some resources too. And then, of course, I just started trying to consume as much information as I could. Mm. And, I, and it was, I, I think, having like a background in athletics and kind of understanding what I knew about my own body, I was like, okay, well, this information over here is, you know, maybe not all that beneficial like mm -hmm. that seems wrong you know and then like you kind of and i mean honestly too just like going into the weight gym and working with there were a lot of the salt lake was a great place to kind of like launch this okay because it's just such a broad and diverse community um do you do in-person training or is it all i, I noticed it's all online on your well website. it is online now because that's how you know i basically started it when we left salt lake and i knew okay. we were going to be traveling yeah you know, it's a it's a, a very real goal of mine to have. I really want to get this gym set up at our new house and be able to host people, like host oh, athletes and stuff. And nice. do I would love to do more in person. Yeah, I mean the remote thing is great, and it's thus far, you know, knock on wood, it's it's worked out famously. I mean, oh, uh, that's you know, awesome. Uh, but I mean, there's there's disadvantages, you know, for sure. I would love to be able to host, you know, do clinics you know, more one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, there's just, you know, there's some things that are lost when you're trying to communicate via, you know, videos and sure, you know, zoom calls and that sort of thing. So, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Salt Lake was a fantastic place. There were, you know, I remember in particular, there was a gal that was in the gym, a really good climber, her and her husband were climbers. And she saw me deadlifting one day and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm deadlifting. She's like, no, you're not. You know, and she came, totally came over and helped. And I was like, oh, okay, for sure. I, my, my form is bad. You know, that was that <laughs> good tip. Okay. Um, so, and then, it, you know, and then it was like, and I think that's the other thing too. It was really easy for me to say like, I did, I did, I've never had a problem, I guess, admitting I'm wrong if I, <laughs> you know, Good for like, you, you know, I mean, that's, that's awesome. That, yeah. That's a, that's been a very beneficial. It's like, Oh, yeah. like, is there a better way? Like, is there something I don't know? Okay, cool. Teach me. You know, like I want to, I've, I've always been very receptive to that. Yeah. And I think that's been great. Um, I mean, there's been some poor tips in there, but very few, <laughs> I mean, mostly it's all been really good information. Oh, so. that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah. And then, yeah. And then of course, uh, I attended Steve's, one of Steve's PCCs, okay. the performance climbing coach seminars, which was huge. That was, that was really probably the last sort of like kick in the butt, you know, that really filled in the missing pieces mm. of what I felt like I was missing f to effectively coach somebody, mm. you know, and give advice. And it, that's, that's just a phenomenal program in and of itself. I was fortunate to be one of the presenters this year in the in the digital yeah. pcc which was really cool so that's a pretty it's a pretty amazing yeah platform for people who want to know more do you come out of that with the certification or i, th I yeah you do okay but yeah. i mean it's you know it's so funny because like everybody you know i mean different organizations require different things right i mean you come out of it with like a pcc certification but it's not like a it's not like a strength and conditioning coach it's nothing that's okay. like nationally recognized mm -hmm. but i do know a number of our attendees this year you know they can use it towards like continuing edu education credits for like you know various training certifications okay. and that sort of thing so yeah yeah I think it's a little informal, but climbing training is so new. Yeah, totally. 
compared to everything else. And I think that that what the PCC does, which is really cool, is is at least start to like formalize kind of the process. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's step one, right? It's like, like the most legit thing we've got. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, those, I mean, you know, they like, they do a fantastic job of like all getting great presenters, you know, like across the board, nutritionists and, you know, I've actually been kind of going back through and looking at some of the other presenters presentations hmm. and I'm still like, I was, I did that on my last rest day and I'm like, oh man, I'm just like writing notes down. I'm like, man, like, you know, I'm so curious. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's really, really, I mean, the, the, the wealth of information from one of these things is, you know, kind of overwhelming. So, yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I've got two questions about this most recent one. I'm curious, is there any one thing that really stood out to you most or, or really clicked with you the like, most? W- like with the other presenters? Yeah. Um, yes, definitely. Um, I mean, they're all amazing. Yeah. I, and I haven't gotten through all of them. I've kind of like skimmed. And now I'm just kind of going back through and really digging in and like sitting down and watching them all the way through. And oh, because it was all virtual, right? It was all virtual. And I'm trying to be better about like actually sitting down and being like, okay, like sit in the seat of a student, mm. like, and really like, what can I glean from this? Um, Dr. Jared Veggie, uh, you know, a climbing doctor, he had, he did a fantastic one about warming up properly mm. and um, shoulder stability. Uh, which is phenomenal as climbers. We just, I, I think there's very few of us that actually warm up as well as we should. Mm, <laughs> you I know? Bet that, yeah. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. Um, and I've, I'm really liking, uh, Mercedes Palmer or Palmeyer, uh, her mobility stuff. Okay. She, like she's really killing it with that. So that's awesome. I just reached out to her. She's going to come on the show. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. Mercedes. She, so Mercedes was one of the attendees at the PCC that I went to. Okay, cool. And it was cool. Cause we both were kind of like, I think I want to start my own thing. I think I want to start my own thing. You know, <laughs> nice. like, good luck. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, no, she's doing really, really cool stuff. I love her mobility stuff. I think she's really, she's really done a, a pretty cool thing with that, which I, th- you know, we could all again, learn more from that. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then my other question is what did you present on this year? Uh, I did, my presentation was on designing skill drills. Okay. You know, I mean, I know, I, I, I guess I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know your demographic. I mean, I'm sure it's probably pretty similar to, <laughs> you know, I mean, I probably know a lot of the people, but I don't, you know, like a lot of people are familiar with training, right? Yeah. When it comes to training, you know, I think the kind of the golden rule that I think a lot of people at least new to training are learning to adopt is, you know, 25% of the time should be like, just like weight training, building strength, like that, that'll never go away. Like we can't, there's very few things to get you stronger than just picking up something heavy, you mm. know, like that's just the way it is. And you would lump like fingerboarding into that as well, or how deep into the weeds do you want to go? <laughs> <laughs> this is a geeky yeah. podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yes. I, my, all of my programming, I do uh fingerboard work, finger work on strength days okay. because ultimately in my opinion, and I think a lot of people would agree, like fingerboarding is building pure finger strength. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's typically like you're not doing, you know, there's no like real range of motion or anything like that. Like you're literally just trying to strain connective tissues to the point where they adapt. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, like I consider that like pure strength training. So, um, so but, that all fits in the 25%. Yeah. That's in the 25%, but then 75% is climbing, Yeah, you know, like mobility movement. Um, I mean what we're doing and, and it's interesting, like, you know, Steve and I were talking about the PCC and he's like, you know, we were kind of kicking around some ideas of like, you know, he's like, what, you know, what would you be interested in working on? I was like, I shot him some ideas. He's like, Ooh, 
skill drills. Like you should totally do that. And I was like, really? You think people are interested? He's like, oh yeah. He's like, people love that stuff. I was like, really? I'm actually surprised by that too. Well, and I, because in my mind, I'm like, oh, like no one's going to be interested in this stuff. Right. But the more and more I started thinking about it, one of the very first drills I ever designed, and I mean, you know, I shouldn't say design. It's like, I'm sure somebody, it's like the dude that like built a chair and he's like, I built the chair. And it's like, no, somebody else built chairs too, you know? But uh, I had a client and she was climbing. There was a very specific boulder problem she wanted to do. And she was having a lot of problems that required this like high step rock over move, Mm. you know? And she was really struggling with that. And she's sending me these videos and I'm like, ah, you know, gosh, like, yeah, clearly there's a disconnect here where, you know, you're not, she's not, she wasn't rocking over her foot enough and she, you know, she wasn't pulling enough and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, how do we train for that? And I started actually thinking about my experience on the queen line at the pop tire. And I'm like, well, yeah, there was kind of this weird section where I was like, I just, it was a bizarre roof move. And I'm like, how do I even train for this? And I was like, so I kind of came up with it. I had this like mental sort of like map, I guess you'd call it, of how I broke that experience down. And I applied that to her move, like this high step move. Okay. And I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start with your foot here and then we're going to move your foot here. And like, you know, the hands are going to stay the same and do all this stuff. And honestly, I didn't know if it would work. I was just kind of shooting from the hip, you yeah. know, because she's like, what can I do? What can I do? You You're the like coach. Design progressions for her towards this move. Yeah, of? basically. And yeah. I was like, I was like, mm, fuck, I don't know if this is going to work or not. <laughs> I'm like, this is the best I can do. You know, she's like, what do I do, coach? I'm like, shit, uh, come up with some answer. Uh, and That's probably most coaches most of the time. Well, and I mean, this was like, she was like, she, she was a friend and she was like client number three. Okay. You know? I'm, like, uh, I'm like, oh God, I hope I don't screw this up. It worked awesome. Nice. It totally worked. And I was like, oh yeah. Okay. So that's kind of like how I kind of, and I was like, really see like people are interested. And then of course I've, you know, designed a number of other drills and, you know, piggybacked off of, you know, a lot of, a lot of the other great trainers, some of the stuff that they've done and kind of taken it my own direction. But yeah, my, yeah, my presentation was, yeah, skill drill design and how we apply that and yeah, how you... You know, I mean, there again, everybody's different. There's yeah. no, there's no standard template, which is kind of tough. I, I wish it would be like, here, here's a map. Like, this is all you have to do. But as a coach, that's sort of one of those things where you sort of have to like, I don't know, kind of like get your hands a little dirty and be like, well, we got to use a little intuition here. Yeah. But, uh, it, yeah. It worked out really well. It seemed like people were pretty receptive to it. So were yeah. you, sh- were you sharing specific drills or was it more of like a framework for how to create your, your own drills based on your needs? Yeah. I did a little bit of both. Okay. Um, just, yeah, you know, I think a lot of times some of these, like some movement mechanics can maybe seem a little nebulous to people the first time you try them. And especially as we get, what I'm finding is, as as athletes get older and more advanced, like we have to start looking at like minutia right? Like you're mm-hmm. not going to make big strides. You're gonna make tiny strides smaller and smaller as we get more advanced. And that's kind of difficult. So I, I did a, a mix of both. It was like, here, here's some sort of some templates. Like this is how we break down movement patterns or how I break down movement patterns, you know, how we sort of address those. And then like, and I gave them ideas, like, this is how you scale this, you know, mm-hmm. like you want drills to be scalable for the v4 climber and for the v12 climber so Mm -hmm. you know how do we build those progressions and regressions in there so um yeah it was really fun it was really fun to actually kind of like put it down on paper yeah you know and like make the slides and stuff yeah it was cool so do you have like one or two drills that most climbers should do that come to mind 
Oh man, that's a loaded question. Uh, yeah, um, is it even a fair question? I don't know. No, I mean, you know, I have my favorites. Okay. I guess, and I would say favorites just in that I, I think people respond well to them. Let's if go I would, with those. if I would say anything, I would, I would say this. I, I would like to see people do more like on the wall tension building. Tension building. Yeah, just like applied tension, um, like while climbing. Okay. Um, and I mean, yeah, we can, I mean, we can go a lot of different directions with this, but I mean, I think when you start talking about end ranges of motion and the strength that we apply and the, you know, like the power that we apply in those end ranges of motion, you know, it's really easy to go into the gym and like, you know, do your fingerboarding, do some heavy, you know, do some heavy pull-ups. I always see people, the thing that killed me the most I'm going to, I'm going to rag on my own Salt Lake city people. I'm sorry, guys. Um, I go, we go, I'd go into the gym and I'd be working out and I'd see people and I'd be like, Oh, I did this killer core workout after my, you know, bouldering session. And they're just up on the training deck, just, you know, like pumping out all these crunches and, you know, getting sweaty and just like, ah, you know, crunches, crunches, crunches. And it's like, that's great. I mean, that's fantastic. Like you're, you know, great. You're working your abs. But I mean, when was the last time you were laying down on the wall, you know, with your feet tucked under something doing a crunch? Like, I mean, it's building, it's building strength. Sure. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take that away. Right. But I mean, is it directly applicable to climbing? Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. You know, and I think, um, I would love to see people do more focused, like on the wall tension work. I just, I think that is inval or it is so valuable. It's like, it's, you can't quantify it mm. whether that's, I mean, you're, you're right. Like you're a Smith rock climber. Yeah. You know I mean? Whether you're working on something, you know, like white wedding or, you know, lucky pigeon where you're like dancing through the knob section and you're, you know, I mean, you're, you're super spread out. How do you maintain tension in that situation as well as how do you maintain tension in the pipe dream mm. in Maple Canyon when you're, you know, crawling out, you know, the 23 bolt, you know, jug roof, like very different types of applied tension in those two different circumstances. But in order to truly, I think, address those issues for those kinds of routes, like you have to kind of, yeah, you have to build work that's, that targets that, like not just doing weighted sit-ups, mm -hmm. you know, while those have their place, I think, especially when you get really into training, like you can start looking at more, yeah. How do we, how do we build tension on the wall? Like, how do we scale that? How do we, you know, I don't know. I just, I think that's something that everybody should really take a good look at. Like, are you actually applying that? And what would that look like in application? Is that like just doing hard boulders and, and, you know, seeking out a specific type of boulder that's not jumpy, that's not dynamic. And I mean, I think, you, it, yeah, sure. Your own moves on the wall. Like I would say, I would, that's a good, that's a really good question. I would avoid just bouldering. Okay. The problem with just bouldering, and I've, I've this is something that's always, it doesn't bother me, but I think it's one of the shortcomings of like limit bouldering, because if you're truly limit bouldering, you're going to stay within your wheelhouse of what you're good at. You're not going to, mm. like very rarely are people limit bouldering at the stuff they suck at. Sure. Right? Like you're going to go on limit boulder. You're going to try as hard as you possibly can. Like you're going to stay, you're going to try and stay pretty close to your comfort zone. Mm. You know, like if you're a... Crimp aficionado, you're not going to go, you know, 
find out the you know seek out the hardest pusher sloper problem <laughs> you know at your v10 grade or your v set whatever your max grade is you're like you're not going to be like oh i, I really want to do this you know off with roof crack thing like <laughs> you, you know that's not going to be your limit bouldering session so i think no just... one wants to do those ever anyway <laughs> <laughs> we had a very interesting conversation about that today actually um yeah i mean um in application, it would be it would it wouldn't be just bouldering. It would be more like, let's use Smith Rock for example. Mm -hmm. Sure, I would say you know, if you're climbing on, I mean, it's been a long time since I've been there, but like, let's say you want to do Latin Lover, mm -hmm. you know, um, vertical twelve A, super tic tac y. Yeah, yeah. yeah there you go, tic tac y. Yeah, yeah, for those that are not familiar with Latin Lover, very tic tac y. You know, all cut like no real. I don't remember there really being a crux. It was just sort of like yeah, everything was homogenous and it was just like <laughs> little knobby, tiny, crimpy holes. You know, yeah, dotted with chalk. So everywhere. You know what I would start with that. I would say you know like we want to, and I think it, and whatever we can really get into this again, but like you know understanding where core tension comes from. Like we always think of core as like frontal core. And what I've learned as a trainer is like, actually, we, tr we derive a tremendous amount of our body tension from our posterior chain, hmm. you know, so like your hamstrings, your, your glutes, your, you know, your, your low back, your lats, like we can derive so much more tension there. And it's, and it's re I mean, we need both, right? Like you got to have, you know, front and back, but like understanding. So there's some fundamentals that would need to be trained into there. Like we're going to work on, you know, like deadlifting. You know, that's got to be part of the strength building protocol for that. But yeah, so Latin Lover, like after we've maybe dealt with some of the strength building applications, then we start by saying, okay, we want to create a boulder problem, which would be a great example, but we want to create a boulder problem that's going to mimic kind of the same movements. And we're going to, you know, I would start it by saying like, let's start small. So like, we're going to do a small picture, a circle on the wall, right? Okay. Like I want you to do whatever, five or six moves within this, where you're not actually getting outside of this range of this circle. Imagine the center of the circle, like be in your belly button. And we're gonna, you know, we're, we're not gonna move further than, you know, whatever, 36 inches away from your belly button, hands and feet. Okay. And how, you know, and then, so we start on some big edges for that. And then we decrease the size of the edges, you know, within that 36 inch, you know, radius. And after, whatever X amount of time where that's starting to become more comfortable, then we expand the radius, you know, we, and then they say, okay, let's start doing that. And we're going to, you know, tilt the angle back or something. I mean, there's a number of different ways you could scale something like that. Yeah. But, and ultimately in the end, it would be like, okay, I want you on a, you know, 70 degree wall on tiny edges at near your max reach and extension. And we're, you know, we want to try and we're not thrutching. We want to, you know, keep in that tic-tac-y style, but, you know, maybe start to try and just like change the, you know, kind of the scope of where that, you know, your range of motion is going. Okay. Um, and just quick clarification, yeah. 70 degree wall being like 20, degree like 20 over. degrees over hung. Yeah. 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 Um, and I mean, I'm, I mean, that's just like off the top Spitball. of my head. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, again, every climber is different. And I, you know, I don't like to, as much as I have some, like, I guess you'd call them like stock recipes that I like to draw from. I always tweak it for every client. Yeah. You know, everybody's different. Everybody has limitations and different strengths. And I mean, that's, I always view my relationships with my clients as like an ongoing and evolving conversation, you know, and mm. it should be like, 
you're, you know, at, at six weeks out, like you're going to, they're going to be a very different athlete than they were at, you know, day one. So mm. the training should reflect that. Mm-hmm. So, um, that, so that's interesting. So if I had to generalize this whole thing, it sounds like part of your training with your clients would, would be thinking of what they're trying to get better at in particular, a specific route they want to do, and then having them find a way to do moves like that that are difficult on the wall and then have a way to progress, progress that, make it steeper and make the hold smaller. I mean, that's, yeah, in, in a nutshell, that's an ideal circumstance. Okay. Right. I love when clients come to me with like, this is my goal, <laughs> this one route. I mean, that makes my job so easy. I'm like, yeah. cool. Like <clears throat> send me photos, you know, give me all the things, you know, I get to geek out on mountain project and eight a and like, look at that. I mean, that's great because if, if people have like a super specific goal, it's like, okay, cool. Like it, that's really what you want this program to do is to do you know, whatever your one route at Mount Lemon, like, okay, great. Like let's, we're going to, we're going to get rid of the extraneous stuff that we don't necessarily need mm-hmm. and focus on this one thing. Um, it's maybe, it's, it's not harder when people are like, I just want to get better. Mm. I was like, well, getting better is a pretty <laughs> broad concept, you know, like what, you know, how do you want to get better? And I mean, there's, of course, like, there's a lot of things we can do. It's like, yeah, we can, build your power. We can build your endurance and capacity. Like we can do all those things, but typically it's, I I do like the process of being able to say like, yeah, let's adapt you to this one thing, you know, which inevitably there's always carryover, right? Like there's always carryover. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, personally for me, one of the biggest takeaways that I've gotten out of my own personal training came from Chris Hampton power company. He had, he did a really cool thing with me when I was, he was the first person I reached out to, to start training for the, the queen line less than zero. And I was kind of explaining it to him. He's like, okay, we gotta, we gotta work on your legs more. Like you're not doing enough with your legs on Hmm. this thing, you know, like, which at the time I'm like, really? Like it's, it's, you know, it's crazy steep. Like, I just don't see that being a thing. And there was a drill that he had me do that to this day, I'm still like, it is ingrained in my head. I'm like, you know, applying tension with my legs, like moving my body position differently with my legs. I just, I climb very differently with my lower half now than I did, you know, eight years ago. Hmm. So, um, can you describe the, the drill? Oh man, I don't know. I don't want O-Dub getting mad. Oh, I can't call him that anymore. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. uh, Well, yes, I can. I I don't want to give away his proprietary secrets, but it was, (laughs) it was, uh, it was a drill that focused on, you know, I think a lot of times as climbers, we're, we're like, we need to, you know, we place our feet, but it's sort of like, we don't, you don't just have to push with your feet. Like you can you can create tension with your legs and with foot positions in an, in a wide range of motion, Mm. right? Like it doesn't have to be just like straight pushing or sideways pushing or like heel hooking, you know, I mean, you can, you can maintain a tremendous amount of tension, you know, just towing in on a flat edge, high stepped and maintain that tension all the way down, you know, until you're like pushing straight legged, but it requires practicing those movements, Mm. right? Which was it. so funny because at first i'm like dude this is so dumb why am i doing this like it i just i don't you know it took a long a number of sessions before i was like before it clicked huh and i didn't get it i was like why am i doing this like why am i I, and i would i i mean i was very diligent i was like i'm gonna do this exercise every time i go in 
to the gym and I do my workout, I'm going to do this stupid exercise that's not doing anything for me. And then sure as shit, the first day I'm up on the route, I'm like, there was this foothold and I was like, you know, put my foot, I was like, oh my God. Like I just moved totally different Wow. through that sequence. And I was like, and it like, I mean, it was like a lightning bolt. I was like, oh my God, this is what I... Like, this is what I've been training for. Like, wow. this, is, this is, this is that situation. <laughs> and to this day, I'm still like, it's made, it made such a huge improvement in my climbing. Wow. So, yeah. So interesting. I wish I could see it. <laughs> That's okay. Well, well, let's go climbing tomorrow. I'll show you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> okay. Let's get to some questions. I've got a, I've yeah. got a long list and I don't know how many we'll get through, but Hit um, me up. Yeah, some of these are definitely very situational, and I asked for context where I could, but, you know, I mean, without uh-huh. without seeing the people, we'll see what we can do. But Yeah, yeah, of course. But yeah, I think they'll lead to just good conversation regardless. The first one is from Donovan, and I'll paraphrase a lot of this. He basically is someone who describes himself, he has a very flat pyramid. He's done a ton of 512s. He okay. does them quickly, and he's having a really hard time breaking into 513. I think he said he's only done one 513, and he said he's uh, punted the one hang on many others. He's climbed V7 on the moon board, V7 outside, done a lot of training, suffers from overstoke, and he's just curious. Your thoughts on helping him kind of break through this plateau, I guess, is is the most concise way to phrase the question. Like, what should I work more on? Oh, yeah. Well, of course. And I mean, let's just, I'll preface the rest of this conversation and all these questions with that, right? Like every case is different. I would love to actually be able to sit down and, you know, look at the routes and look at like the training and all that sort of stuff. I mean, there's a lot of question marks and X factors and that, but from the sounds of that, I would say just start trying harder routes. Hmm. I mean, in that snapshot, the first thing that comes to my mind is, dude, you did V7 on the moon board. You're already doing better than I am. You know, like. Totally. <laughs> I, I, I mean, like. I read that too. I was like, that's hard. Well, for sure. Yeah. For sure. You know, the, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say you should start trying harder routes. I mean, yes, you have to start. You have to have some audacity to try the things that are too hard. That's really, really important. I had a very pivotal moment at Smith Rock with Larry Bromwell, who used to own the Ben Rock gym. Mm. And he had just bolted a new route. He's like, I think you should climb on this. And he didn't tell me anything about it. And I climbed on it. And of course I was like, I was like, this is too hard, but I did all the moves. He's like, there you go. You just did a, all the moves on a 514. I'm like, I can't do that. Hmm. I've only climbed 13 B's. Like, well, you just did all the moves. And it ended up being that, uh, his route chemical Ali, which oh. Scott Milton did damn years later. Yeah. Yeah. That thing's hard. It's way hard. But I mean, <laughs> right. Like in my mind, had he told me it was 14 a, of course there would have like been a mental block Yeah, and I wow. would, I wouldn't have pushed through that. Like people need to not be afraid to try things that are really hard. Now I'm not suggesting like just getting on hard things and flailing, like try hard things. But I mean, like, you know, within reason and you know, real flat pyramid of 512. I mean, that's great. That's where we really want to start, yeah. you know, with that wide base. And my guess is Donovan's probably got a great experience base underneath him. He's probably got a lot of technical skills there as well. Like, obviously, he's climbing well on the moonboard. You know, my thought, too, might be tactics. Mm. That's one thing that really kind of stands out in my mind. Like, it doesn't sound like maybe strength is is a limiter here, but maybe just red point tactics. Mm. You know, how we approach routes. 
and, you know, just sticking with it. But I mean, that's also really hard, right? Like I feel like 513 is a difficult grade to break into just in general. Um, I know a lot of climbers that can kind of eke by on just natural ability through the 512 grades. But really, when you get into the 513 grade, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. You know, like we're almost all, you're almost always dealing with, you know, substantially harder boulder problems or something like that. But I would say, yeah, try and beef the pyramid up. Mm. You know, like if 12A is the bottom and, you know, you're doing those quick, that actually sounds a lot like myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. If you're doing 12A quick, okay, try the 12Bs and Cs and Ds. You know, don't, don't skip those intermediate grades. Don't try and just like, you know, do the, the, the feel good 12 a, like power through the 12 B's do the three star ones, do the two star ones, do the one star ones, you know, Mm. and build that base up and try and, because that will go further, like increasing the size of that base will go further than just being like, well, you just need to do more hangboarding. Like that's probably not the thing. Yeah. You know, that's probably not the, the missing, you know, part of that equation. Right. That's really in line with what I was going to say. There's a little bit more context here that I'll share. And then I, I had some thoughts. Uh, he wrote, I asked him for details and you yeah. know, asked him to basically spray. And, you know, he said he's probably done over 100 512s, not including repeats, climbed a handful of 12 Cs and repeated them many times. And he, this was interesting. He wrote, I don't know if I've ever truly done a 12D, but mostly that is due to route availability at my preferred areas. Oh, there you go. Right. Yeah, that's and, it. Yep. That's yeah. totally it. Like, yeah. I mean, the pyramid. Embrace 12D. Em, yeah. Embrace the cusp <laughs> grades. Yeah. You know, like, don't get so hung up on the number. And I I mean, I can say that because I've been climbing for so long and I've, yeah. I've had to go through those ups and downs. And that's really hard, right? Like when you've had that taste. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I want to get there again. But it's like, yeah, it's the, it's the buildup that gets you there, you know? It's funny, though. It's so arbitrary. You know, 12D, 13A, obviously to us Americans, one feels so much more significant than the other. One thing that's helped me is reframe and think of everything in French grades, you know, 7C, 7C plus. And those don't really feel that different to me. And um, I also, I have an 8A and, and just visually looking at my period pyramid i really try to make point and make a point that i never have more 13 a's than 12 d's i always oh yeah yeah yeah. there should never be i mean and i i'm gonna say this and god please don't look at my 8a because it does this (laughs) uh i've i was for a long time i wouldn't christmas tree oh i wouldn't well i wouldn't log 512s Hmm. i would never log 512s because i'm like oh these don't matter only five i mean this was when i was younger and i was like i was grade chasing and I was new to 8A and, you know, for that brief moment I was in the top 20, I was like, yes, I can do this thing, nice. you know, you know, uh, <laughs> that's hard now. Oh God. Yeah. No. I, yeah. I'm bummed, man. They got rid of the 35 plus category. I was so psyched. When I turned 35. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to crush it. And then they got rid of it. I'm like, oh no. Um, no, but I mean, that's that, you know, that's a real thing. Like when I actually have gone back and looked at, I mean, I couldn't even tell you how many 512s I've done. Mm. I, yeah, I don't know. Th- th- thousands? I, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've done a tremendous amount of 513. I've always logged those. But yeah, like, yeah, that it, that's exactly right. The pyramid should always be building up. And the fact that he says he's done, you know, 112, you know, 512s, I'm assuming 12 minus, but only a handful of 12 Cs mm-hmm. and Ds, that's like, yeah, you got to like, that's like hit the 12B, hit the 12C, you know, that 12D grade. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's... 
I'm going to go ahead and just make a generalization here and say, I, I don't think strength is an issue in yeah. this case. Like if you're climbing V7 on the moon board, even God, the, even, really a, do that? even a squishy V7 <laughs> on the moon board, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that's hard. That's, yeah. all, that's, I mean, that's in a, like, I'm sorry, that's an elite grade. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I'll back that up all day long. I mean, once you, once you're in the 513 realm, like that's elite, like it is, um, yeah, plenty of strength there, but it sounds like more more base is needed. Do you I've heard coaches recommend numbers for this before before in the past. Do you like to see someone do a certain number of routes in a grade before they try the next grade? No, not necessarily. Okay. You know, just because climbing's so different for everybody. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah, I don't know. Climbing's just so different for everybody. I mean, and I don't think you, I, I would never want to make a generalization like, oh yeah, you need to do like, I don't want to be just stop Gestapo about this. You yeah. know, I'm like an East Austria, you know, East German trail, like you have to do, you know, so many of these before you can progress to these. Like, is that a good formula, you know, for building a, a long, like I'm all about building, right? Mm. Like build the base. The bigger the base you build, the the stronger and the taller your tower can be, whether that's bouldering or routes or general fitness, mm. you know, like I, I really do believe in that. So yeah, of course I would love to see someone, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see someone do like their first 12A and then immediately go to a 12B to a 12C, you know, like it, it just, it, it, that wouldn't work well. But I mean, I also really believe that you got to try, like if a route inspires you, try it. Mm. You know, like if you've only done three twelve C's, but that thirteen A just looks like it might suit you, like absolutely, you know, boot up. Don't you know? Maybe don't hog it on a top rope for the entire weekend, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like yeah, try it because what you might find is that certain things do speak to you, and you and you're gonna find that some things don't. Mm. You know, and I mean, I think there's a lot. It's so hard to quantify those anecdotal things. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's so hard to quantify those when it comes to, like, the progression as athletes because there are so many intangibles that we take away from those experiences. Yeah. It's easier to see it if you zoom out, right? Like, it's oh, it's, for it's sure. hard to convince someone that a bunch of 12Ds are going to really be meaningful. But, you know, imagine Donovan, if he had climbed 100 plus 12 season Ds. 13A would not be a problem at all. There's oh, no, for sure. There's no way. You yeah, know? yeah. So all those little things add up, even if no one route seems like it's going to, you know. Well, and it sounds that, you know, he said he he has lack of availability. You know, yeah, I mean, like yeah. that's that's hard. That's right? hard. That's hard. And again, I can say that from a scope of someone who's like, I've been able to travel all over the world and climb, you know, all different grades of all different styles and different rocks and whatever. And that's, you know, that's built my base and that I'm sure that can be a very limiting factor, right? Like if you have the two 12 D's to work on and you, you know, you're, you're only going to learn so much from those. Right. And then after a certain point, it's just going to be repetition. You're not going to gain anything. So, yeah. But any recommendations as far as that goes, like if he truly doesn't have any that he can get on any in that 12 D range. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, you should buy a substrate program and I'll <laughs> set him up. No, uh, <laughs> um, you know, my first thought would be, yeah, like, like what, you know, um, you don't have to just look at, you know, obviously he's a route climber. Donovan's a route climber. You don't have to just train for route climbing by climbing on routes. Mm. While that's a very beneficial tool, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of, you know, oftentimes it's a one-to-one -one carryover. 
but you don't have to do that. I have a lot of athletes that are route climbers that don't have access to route facilities. So we do things, you know, look at interval training, um, you know, look at, I, I don't necessarily love four by fours. I like them as a preparatory to get into more interval style training. Okay. I don't believe in four by fours for long periods of time. I think it's a good way to like build up your capacity and then it's about like transitioning beyond that. But I mean, that kind of stuff can be really beneficial, like doing circuit style problems mm. on the moon board, like at a lower grade, you know, trying to build up some of that sort of stuff. Like boulder um, link ups. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. On the minute, you know, on the minute intervals. Mm. You know, yeah. There's a lot of different, a lot of different modalities for, yeah, building, you know, which would be a good way to, depending on like if he's got a goal, you know, like a route in particular, like a 513 in mind that he wants to do, you know, I would say, yeah, like have your training correspond to that goal. Mm. Like, you know, like what's the, what are the moonboard problems, you know, at, I don't know, 50% or 70%, whatever, like find the moonboard problems that speak to that problem that are going to carry over, mm. you know, similar styles and that sort of stuff. And, you know, try and do those, link those and, you know, do look, experiment with some of that kind of stuff because that can actually be really, really beneficial. Yeah. Cool. This person wanted to be left anonymous. Uh, I know who this is. She asked, how do you balance training during the work week when only getting out to climb on weekends? I would rather consistently climb at a decent level versus train to project during one specific season, like, you know, versus peaking for one season. Yeah. How can I be a better weekend warrior? I mean, that's, yeah, again, a good, a good question. I have all these questions in my mind now. I want to know the, I want to know all the variables. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, my, my first initial thought would be make your weekday sessions count. I always stress quality over quantity, just going, you know, going to the gym three days a week and then climbing routes on the weekend doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a better climber. Mm. You know, I mean, um, I know a lot of people that can only get into the gym one day a week. Like that's just, you know, I work with, I actually have had the pleasure to work with a lot of like medical professionals, nurses, yeah, um, you know, people just in the medical system that are work these crazy shifts where sometimes they only get one session in a week and we really focus on making the most out of that session, you know? So if you can get in two days a week, you know, I would say, make sure you're not doing the same thing, you know, both, both sessions, like try and mix it up a little bit. Like you're never going to go wrong with strength work. You know, I mean, that's hard for a lot of people, but like that always carries over, like being strong, is a good thing. Like having a big strength base always is the, the, you know, the fundamental, but yeah, like have a day where you're getting stronger, where you're doing your fingerboard work and your, you know, muscle work and you're getting, you know, the, the heavy lifting kind of stuff in and then yeah, have a, like a climbing day, like a bigger climbing day, you know, make them deliberate. Mm. That's the other thing I would say, make it deliberate. I I've, I've definitely worked with people who, get very easily sidetracked going into the gym, you know, like, and I get it. Like, you know, you go in social, it's uh, fun. Uh, yeah. And yeah. And, and of course, and that's what it should be. I mean, that's why we do this in the first place, but that can very quickly derail, you know, like targeted efforts mm -hmm. if you're not careful. Um, let's say this person has every evening free, you know, they're climbing on weekends. How would you structure like an ideal midweek lineup for them? You know, it, given that you want them to do some strength training, 
you want to keep that in this 25%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, how would you fit those things together? So I definitely train people a little differently than most. I, I really love nonlinear training. Okay. You know, um, I've done both. I've done linear progressions and nonlinear progressions. I love nonlinear because it takes longer. I mean, I, I'm upfront with everybody about that. Like you don't see the quick gains, mm. but the performance phase lasts so much longer. Like that, you know, that peak target phase that we always try and hit for every time I know someone that's trained that way, 50% of the time they hit it and 50% of the time they don't, mm -hmm. you know, and that's happened for me too. So one of the things I really like to see people do is, is train, you know, we train strength, we train power and we train what I call capacity or endurance simultaneously. And I would say if, you know, if you've got, you know, have the weekends be your weekends. Don't, don't put pressure on yourself to like be training. If that's like, if the weekends are your fun time, keep them the fun time and, and have that be your outside climbing. But on the weekdays I would cycle through and I would say, you know, have a strength day and then have a power day. And then the following week have an endurance day mm. and then maybe another power day. You know, like, I mean, keep cycling through that. And yeah, it might take a little longer to build up like the tangible results. But once you get there, you're less likely to see like a significant tapering off, you know, like, I mean, not, not to say that it's not going to happen, right? Like, I mean, we inevitably we go through peaks and valleys. That's just how we get stronger. But uh, I think for people with real world lives where it's like, oh, you know, I can only I have X, you know, four hours a week you know, that I have to divvy up. I think that's a good way to like approach it. Just kind of like spread out, you know, spread the wealth a little bit. Don't just focus on the one thing. Cause you, yeah, you might see those results quicker, but then they're going to taper off quicker mm -hmm. and then you're back, you know, unless you're timing it like perfectly, you're back down to, you know, kind of baseline. Mm -hmm. And ideally we want to, you know, when we do those kind of transitions, we want to sort of peak, taper off, but we want the, our new baseline to be a little bit higher right. than that, in, than that initial one. Yeah. Um, so, and I, and I really think nonlinear training does that Yeah. in my experience, at least. We don't have to go super into the details with this, but I'd love like a quick example of what the ingredients of those days would be. So yeah. like a strength day, what comes to mind is like some deadlifts, some, some compound lifts, and then some fingerboarding, maybe power day would be like bouldering, maybe moonboarding. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on what each of those days would I mean, entail? I have sort of, yeah, my bread and butter that I like to see all workout, all of those workouts consist, but yeah, like a strength day, like, yeah, definitely have a hangboarding day. Like everybody should have a hangboarding day, whether it's, you know, whether you're a five eleven climber or a five fourteen climber, like mm. that's, I mean, our fingers are the link to the rock. We can't make them too strong. That's a good thing to do. How, you know, get on a hangboard and there's so many protocols, right? There's so many different hangboard protocols. I mean, they're, you know, pick one, choose one, play with them. You know, mm. there's no, there's, there is no right one. I mean, that's, yeah, I think everybody should understand that. Um, yeah. Uh, strength day would be like fingerboarding, you know? Yeah. So, you know, do something that's pulling, do something that's pushing, you know, work on those antagonist strength. I, I always incorporate antagonist exercises for shoulders and you know i'm trying to be better about incorporating stuff for hips and like that kind of mobility you know legs every you know the dreaded oh i don't do leg i skipped leg day you know like i mean that's a huge thing like i love pistol squats i love mm. pistol squats 
that's so applicable to climbing and nobody wants to go into the gym and <laughs> do squats right as a climber but they're so like they carry over so well to like high stepping and isolating foot movements and stuff i love pistol squats for that you know and then yeah like a deadlift um you know, a power day, uh, I would say, yeah, that's where that's where you should have explosive movements. That's your bouldering day, your project bouldering day. But that's also the day I would like to see somebody do skill work. You know, that's like, do you have, you know, is there a tricky foot sequence? Is there a, you know, a weird, I don't know, like, you know, slope or traverse or something, you know, whatever it is, like, that's a good time to work on that. Like work on those skills when you're fresh on a power day, mm. um, that carries over. And then, you know, the endurance capacity day would be more like, that's where you want to, I mean, you want to build volume, but you also want to work on the, ultimately the goal is to not get tired. And we want to, we want to work that in there. So it's like, mm. and that's a hard one. Capacity days are tough because typically they just take longer and that's often where people with time constraints really have a difficult time, like completing a full workout. And that's just an unfortunate, I mean, that's just real world, you know, like you can't do a 10 route pyramid in an hour and a half. Like yeah. it's just not going to happen, you know, but I would say on a, a capacity day, I would like to see people do lower intensity exercise in general you know like if you're are you familiar with rpe rate of perceived exertion have you heard that before i have heard it before but feel yeah maybe i mean there's there's it. you can google it there's cool charts but basically it's like your rate of perceived exertion is like how hard you're trying and it's sort of like and there's a number of different charts out there with gauges but it's like you know, like 10 being the max 10 is like impossible. I'm blacking out, you know, like I just threw up, you know, like I, I can't remember my name. Like that's 10, you know, whereas one is like, we're walking slowly, you know, yeah. around the park Drinking and coffee, you know, I, yeah, I just, you know, yeah. I had six cups of coffee and I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. and then the varying scales in between, you know, I like to see uh, what I call cap days or capacity days. Like we don't want to push much past like the 60 or 70 percentile mark. And okay. even for, and for the 70 percentile mark, that's unsustainable for like a long period of time. You know, like maybe we hit that in a spike on, you know, bouldering intervals or something like that. But then the rest of the time we're more down at like 50%, but we want to, mm. you know, I, I like to see people stay there. Like I want to keep them at 50% for a while, you know, like, and the idea is to just build up, you know, the, the capacity base, um, mm -hmm. which I think it gets lost a lot of times. Like it's really easy to go too hard and then you're done, you know? So yeah, like strength day, pretty short workout, just building pure strength, you know, push, pull, hinge, squat, you know, fingers, power days, more climbing movement, ba mo like people need to remember movement based. Mm. That's, that's the big key for like a power day. And then yeah, cap days are just like, Lower intensity, but, you know, higher volume, a lot of good, yeah, a lot of volume, whether that's, yeah, climbing a bunch of routes or doing a series of boulder problems back to back to back or whatever. Yeah. What's the carryover with the cap day to your, your climbing performance? Is that just being able to try your project more times in a day or is it, is you it know, more than it's, that? It's different for everybody. Um, and I mean, I'm, I'm still new enough at this that I'm not going to pretend I have all the answers with yeah. that. It seems to me like on the cap, like the capacity and the endurance that can kind of, that comes fairly quick for a lot of people. And it also leaves fairly quick for a lot of people. So while I like to see that as a regular, I, I don't always necessarily hammer that home 
with everybody as much as I do some of the other ones, we might do like, instead of just doing like strength, power, capacity, strength, power, capacity, maybe we'll do a strength, power, cap, and then like strength, power, strength, power, cap, you mm-hmm. know, like, um, certainly for, uh, athletes that are more into bouldering, you know, like, yeah, I've got a two week trip to Waco. Like then we're going to do more of like a linear, you know, progression with training, you know, like we want to, we want to, we want you peaking. We want you like, there's no reason for you to be doing four hours of, you know, work at 50%. Like that's not going to be beneficial down here, you know, like that sort of a thing. So when it gets into more like, yeah, I don't know, you know, it's, it's spring route season. Then we really start, you know, I'll, I'll start incorporating more of that. And I, I mean, I, without giving away too many trade secrets, I, I definitely vary the cap days in the beginning. It's mostly like, we're just going to break you down and <laughs> like, you know, like that's, that's really what it is. Like we just need to build up your capacity. Like what we need to build up an athlete's capacity for work. And then once we're at a, a higher base level, then I like to start tweaking the training and have it be more, more targeted to like actual performance outside, Mm. you know? But I mean, you can't just start in my experience, you can't just start there. Mm. Like, you know, like athletes have X amount of ability and it's like, if that's great, you're a V 10 boulder, but if you can't perform for more than an hour, like you're not going to be able to send your, you know, 514 rig at the VRG. Like that's not realistic, you know? So I don't know. It evolves. It evolves. Do you have any thoughts on, so this person is climbing two days on the weekend sport Mm -hmm. climbing any thoughts on how to structure that if you know if they're interested in projecting also absolutely taking other routes mini goals mini goals mini goals and that's not that's not a coaching tip that's a that's just a i've been climbing for a long time and that's i think that's a good thing like have a goal for for each day for the day Yeah. yeah like don't just that's been something that Lindsay and I have, have always said to each other for forever. Yeah. Like, what's the mini goal today? <laughs> okay. And every, you know, because it doesn't, I mean, it gives you some purpose, but it doesn't put a ton of pressure on you. You know, mm. like you, uh, you know, yeah. What's the mini goal for today? Well, I'd like to, sometimes the mini goal is a big one, right? Like I want to link to bolt seven. Mm. Okay, great. Maybe that's a bit, you know, that might be a big chunk of, you know, route to chew off. Or maybe it's like, I would just like to feel better getting to that rest. I'd like to feel less fatigued. I'd like to not be breathing as hard. Like mini goals like that can be really helpful. And it, and it gives you, instead of trying to, I think as people, we see big problems. So we look for big solutions, mm. right? Like here's this hard route. What's the thing I need to do to get there? It's like, it's not one thing. It's lots of little tiny things, you know? And instead of approaching it as like this one big problem that we need to just sort of solve immediately mini goals sort of give us a way to break it down into much more chewable bite-sized pieces Mm. which is much more digestible and it's like you do that enough times over time and it's like oh there you go you know it's the what do they call that gestalt (laughs) i don't (laughs) know the the sum is greater than you know the parts for the whole whatever it is i can't remember it uh it's close (laughs) yeah something like that not that but something like that um yeah mini goals i would i would say have mini goals just yeah give yourself something that's easy like achievable but not super audacious okay you know because really like you know success breeds success and mm. I think we forget that a lot of times. Like we need those mini wins in climbing, 
you know, the people that don't get the wins that burn out or it seems like are the people that are like, well, I've done my first 13 a now I have to do 13 C. And when they don't do it, they get upset. You know, like mm. I, I hate, I hate to see that with people. It's like, give, yeah, give yourself a little win and be, be happy with a little win. That's, that goes a long way. Yeah. I can relate to that. You know, in the mental game at least. So, yeah. This one's from Tyler. He writes, so much info on training is focused on elite level athletes who have great access to climbing, but the majority of climbers do not climb at that level. They work 40 hours a week and have less than stellar access to climbing. So what general tips do you have for this type of climber trying to progress in bouldering and sport climbing at a moderate level and can only get outside about once, once per week? And let's say they're at V5 to V7 or 5.11 to 5.12. Well, I'd say for starters, don't sell yourself short. Like those mm. are very respectable grades. And I would agree with that. Like so much, I mean, it's the glitz and the glam of it, right? Like it, whatever, you know, 5.14, 5.15. Like those are like for so many of us, like, and myself included, like I, yeah, I'm, I've climbed 5.14. I've climbed you know, V12, like th those are still like mythical grades, even to me, like it, we're, those are so hard to relate to. And I, I think that's, that makes for a flashy, you know, I don't know, magazine cover, but it's, yeah, it's really <laughs> not realistic. I would remind them that all training is scalable. That's really important to remember. It might not be super obvious, but all training, training is scalable. There are some benchmarks that I have, at least as a coach, where there are certain things like I don't prescribe campusing for anybody not climbing like at that V7, 513 level, just because it can be very dangerous, mm. right? Like if campusing is not done properly, it can, it can really hurt people and it can, you know, whatever, blow your shoulders out, blow your elbows out, create nagging problems. It's just not worth it. And uh, honestly, up until that point, I think most climbers would benefit more from just actual like climbing, you know, not necessarily campusing. It's, it's very rare that a 12B climber is not breaking through because they can't 159. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, which again, right? Flashy number, 159. Like, goddamn you, Ben Moon. Like, why'd you have to say it out loud? Um <laughs> You know, I would say when it comes to training, like, and especially in that, in that instance where they maybe don't have access to great climbing, just being consistent, you know, that goes so far, like mm. me. And again, it's so hard. I wish I could tell people like, yeah, there's the, these are the four things that you need to do, but that doesn't exist. And anyone that's trying to sell you that is, you know, selling snake oil too. Mm. be consistent in going in, doing the thing. Is that going in and hangboarding and then, you know, chucking 20 minutes on the tread wall? Okay, great. Do that your one day a week and keep at it. Don't, you know, and, and you don't have to get hung up on the minutia. Just keep doing it. Keep, you know, keep at it. Consistency is so key. It's when we veer away from being consistent in our training, which is what I think that really is detrimental to mm -hmm. a lot of people. You know, um, and yeah, if you find something, if you find something online, you know, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of great training stuff online. I would say, look at it. I don't want to say creatively, but look at it. Yeah. Analytically, like how can you scale it? Like if you find a, you know, a, a tr maybe a training protocol that you like from a top level athlete, that's, you know, suggesting whatever finger training for the 513 climber. Like, how can you scale that down? Ask yourself, how can you scale that down for me as a mm. 511 climber? You know, do you 
do it on bigger edges? Do you do less reps, you know, less weight? Start there. You know, I mean, those the chances are that most of those programs come from a place of like practice and repetition and something that has worked. And chances are it'll probably work for other people too. You just got to, you just got to remember that everything is scalable, hmm. you know? Yeah. I like that. I mean, maybe, maybe not campusing. <laughs> no, even, I think even some campusing could be, but yeah, like it, it's just it, a higher barrier to entry maybe. With yeah. I mean, whatever, like take yeah. campusing out of this <laughs> okay. conversation. I should, never should have said anything. Damn it, Ben Moon. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think a lot of that stuff is scalable. If you just kind of take a step back and look at it. And say, like, how can I apply this more to me? Like, the fundamental is probably fairly sound. Mm. You know, you just got to you just gotta kind of adjust it to your level. And yeah. then you can progress up. Cool. This question is from Matt from Ontario, Canada. He says, I'm looking forward to this podcast with Leif because I am also in the trades, drywall taper, and find it extremely hard to find energy after work to, to train or <laughs> climb on weekdays. It's much easier to reach into the fridge for a beer and turn on the game. <laughs> so his question is, would it be wise to hire a coach because my discipline lacks? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. My <laughs> website you. is... Yeah, no. <laughs> totally serving you a softball with that one. Uh, yeah, what are your recommendations for, for Matt? Matt, thanks for the slow pitch. Uh, that's awesome. Let's knock this one out of the park. No. Um, yeah, boy. I, I, A, I have been there. I have clients that are there right now. Hmm. That's a tough one. That's hard. And the short answer is there's no, there's no great way to always ensure that you're always going to be taught, you know, like you're going to be, have the motivation to go to the gym and do the workout or do the climbing. Like there are some days that you have to just give into that. Hmm. And I'm speaking more like from a personal experience than like a coach right now, but that was like when I wanted to do the queen line, that was very critical in my success was understanding that there were days that I needed more rest and there were days that I didn't. Hmm. And I really listened to my body. And I, I mean, Hey, I like, I'm sitting here talking to you and I have a beer in my hand. Like, <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get it. Like, you know, a work day is hard and especially a physical job. Like that's very, very difficult balance to, to measure. You know, I think you have to look introspectively and say, how much rest do you need? You know, like, I mean, and my, my guess is as a construction worker, Matt probably knows the difference between feeling snappy and not pay attention because rest is what makes us stronger. You know, I mean, you have to train, but like we get stronger during the rest period and pushing that if you push through the rest period, when you're not ready, that's diminishing returns. Right. Mm -hmm. And you regress. Yeah, of course. A coach can totally help. Like being accountable to someone. I mean, I find it helpful to be accountable to someone. Um, and a lot of people get a lot of strength in that, you know, they, where they say, I look, I know what I need to do, but I, you know, I don't have anybody to tell me to do it. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's part of my job as a coach is to hammer people, you know, like, Hey, you missed Thursday. What happened? Mm. You know, well, I was, I, you know, I work ran late and the kid was sick and it's like, okay, don't worry about it. We're going to let that one go. Whereas, you know, case B would be like, you know, you missed Thursday. What happened? Well, I was just kind of tired and, you know, some friends went to the bar and I'm like, okay, we can't keep doing that. Mm. That's, you know, that's not helpful. Like I get it, but you know, we, you, you paid me, like you spent money. 
let's do the thing. You know, yeah. like, like we need to, we need to do this. Um, so that can help. And, and I think having a goal, mm. you know, like I do think having a goal, it's, that's everything. Well, and I, I don't want to say like you, you don't have any business training if you don't have a goal, because like we can find goals in those sort of things. But if you do have something that you're reaching for, it just makes everything a little bit easier. Yeah. You know, like that's sort of the, that can kind of really be the anchor for like, you know, keeping you on track. So, I mean, but yeah, at the same token, especially people that are in the trades, I always say like, we got to do the thing. We got to get into the gym. We got to be as consistent as we can. But yeah, when it's Friday and you had to, you know, put in two 11 hour days, last two days to try and get the job done. Like, okay, let's rest Saturday. Mm. You know, like I, and I, I mean, I, I'm a big proponent of that. I always like to see people train fresh. I hate seeing people train like exhausted and fatigued. Now it's a fine line to walk. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, rest is, rest is key. So, but consistency is key too. Hmm. And that's hard. That's just hard. Yeah. And that is something that working with a coach, you know, I mean, I would love it if it was me, but like all coaches, like a good coach knows that, you know, and a good coach can kind of help if they're a good coach, they're, they're tracking progress, they're tracking regressions and they're looking at things to be able to say like, yeah, typically you do better you know, if we don't hit it hard on the weekends and we, you know, we do, you know, our, our big workouts Monday and Wednesday, mm-hmm. you know, after you've had some time off, like a good coach should be able to tell you that. Cool. This question is from Moritz. Would you please ask him about his weight when he climbed his 14B? Oh man. I hate when that question comes up. <laughs> <laughs> I assume this is referring to the Neely interview. So... Yeah, for, I mean, for all your listeners that don't know me, I'm I'm a big guy. I'm six foot three. I don't know what I weigh right now. I haven't weighed myself in a bit, but I'm willing to bet I'm probably right around one ninety five. Okay. Um. Yeah. I, I mean, God, I'm, you were one forty at the start of college. Oh, I was rail thin. That's crazy. I was a twig. I was a twig. <laughs> um. When I when I did my fourteen B. My height hasn't changed at all. I, I mean, since probably like, <clears throat> yeah, whatever, you know, since I was like 22, mm-hmm. 23, that's, that's always been pretty consistent. My weight has fluctuated a little bit. I was 180 for a long time. That was just kind of like standard. It didn't matter what I ate or did or anything like that was just my happy point. I mean, yeah. And like, I mean, it's physiology. Like you get older, like you gain a little weight. Like, and I mean, I have to work very hard to keep it off right now, but I've also realized at, like my body kind of just wants to be at like 190, mm. 195. I was very good about not drinking too much. I mean, I love craft beer. I love good food. I mean, I have no qualms about admitting that, but when I was training for that thing, I, I mean, I was really good about my alcohol intake. I drank a ton of water. I'm really good about mm. I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm really good about my water intake. You know, I mean, I'll drink as much as a gallon, like when I'm working on our house now, I, I drink a gallon a day. Yeah. That's, I think that's really critical. I just feel better when I do that. But I, you know, like, I think when I did the queen line, I was like 190. Damn. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, I think so. Yeah. Well, I, okay. So I, you don't know this about me <laughs> or maybe, it, maybe we talked about this in the spring. I can't remember, but, and I, 
maybe I should hold myself accountable to this. I plan to put out a solo episode talking about this whole experience by the time this podcast comes out with you. Okay. Um, but yeah, I starved myself to try to climb harder at Smith for a while. And I had a period where I was down around 140 pounds and I'm 165 right now. How tall are you? Like 5'10". Okay. Yeah. And it's been a real mind fuck to like believe that I can climb things that I thought were hard then now that I'm 25 pounds harder. Right. Or 25 pounds heavier. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I just have these limits in my head and it's been a massive endeavor to like break those down and, and really unpack some mm -hmm. of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so when I hear that you climb 14B in a steep roof cave at 190, I'm like, it helps me snap out of that. Like, what am I tripping about? Well, not, yeah. I mean, that's, I would actually really like to hear that. That sounds like a, I bet that would be, that would be <laughs> no, I'm serious. I bet yeah, that would, yeah. I would love to hear that. I think that would be fascinating. I mean, it's really, we, whatever, we, we all talk about weight. And I mean, weight's such a funny thing, right? Like the human body is such a funny thing. Anyone that's gone into the gym and strapped on a 10 pound weight vest knows unequivocally that 10 pounds plus or 15 pounds plus, you know, the V4 that you were doing before casually in your tennis shoes with a 10 pound weight vest is like, I need shoes. I need liquid chalk. I need that kid over there to shut up. I need the fan on, you know what I mean? Like it can make a huge difference. Right. Yeah. And I think that gets in our heads where it's like, I, I mean, I, it certainly gets in mine. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that I don't struggle with my weight. I just, I would have to go through at this point in my life, I would have to go through massive, massive life changes in order to drop enough weight that I would be, I would love to be 180 again. Hmm. You know, I would love to be 175. That, that That's not realistic. It's not realistic for my body. You look totally healthy. Like uh, yeah. And I am. I mean, yeah. it's, it's been a while since I've been to the doctor, but yeah, I mean, last checkup was, you know, I can't really imagine you being like 15 pounds lighter without just losing a ton of muscle. Looking at well, you. and I think that's it. Like, and I, and whatever, you know, at 41, I'm happy with, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to fight this thing anymore. <laughs> like the body's going to do what the body's going to do. But I mean, that is really hard, right? Like, yeah. I mean, when you think about that, like, yeah, well, if I was 10 pounds lighter and c would that make a difference? Well, yeah. Would 15 pounds make a difference? Yeah, of course it would. That's also not healthy. Yeah. In so many instances, you know, I mean, I know some people who can, whose weight fluctuates that much. Mine doesn't. And I'm not a dietitian, but I mean, I also know like, you know, your body's doing what your body needs to do. And yeah, I mean, I broke myself trying to do that. Yeah. And I'm about, I'm about to be climbing as hard or harder than I was at my peak then. Yeah. And I couldn't sustain it then. I broke, I broke myself. Yeah. And this feels infinitely more sustainable. And I know that I'm going to climb even harder than I, than I did at 140. Well, and I would imagine that's probably feels pretty validating. Totally. Too, to yeah. like, to be in this situation now where you're like, okay, like this, this thing that was only achievable under these circumstances. I really want to go back and send the project that I was working on at the time. Cause I, I couldn't, I didn't quite do it. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, I think that'd probably be just an interesting experience, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, it'd probably be a very different experience too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, yeah. Literally climbing in two different bodies, probably. It has been, it's been a trip, man. Yeah. 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 I've had to, I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I advocate for being people being healthy, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm all for people being healthy, but that's a pretty, right. That's a broad term. 
Like what is healthy? <laughs> like healthy for me is not health. Like if you got to be 190, <laughs> I'd be like, yo, dude, time to switch to the ultralights, you know, <laughs> like maybe some Michelob Ultra. Just so, you know, like, I don't, yeah, like healthy is different for everyone. But, you know, one thing, and it was actually Mursky, Dan Mursky, that I had this conversation with, you know, I was, cause I asked him, I was like, that was when I really was like, oh, I want to, I want to know as much as I can about this. And I was like, do I need to be, you know, dropping weight and having the protein shakes and doing all the things? He's like, no, man. He's like, drink the beers, huh? drink, you know, he's like, I want you eating the steaks. I want you doing all, he's like, we're going to train heavy. Yeah. I want you training heavy. And you know, if it comes time to red point and we feel like there's a little bit of weight we can lose, then fine. We'll maybe lose a couple pounds. But he's hmm. like, in the end, he's like, I don't want you training light. Hmm. And at the time, I didn't really understand it. But now as a coach, I'm definitely like, yeah, absolutely. Training is hard. You know, like climbing is hard. We need fuel for that. Yeah. And that's a conversation I had with Neely. I had that conversation with Esther Smith. Uh, you know, one of the big things, I think I actually mentioned this in Neely's podcast, the interview I did with her. Um, one of the biggest things I did diet wise for that route was go to a, like an all, not an all, but a mostly po protein based breakfast. Hmm. I used to eat just a lot of granola and yogurt and stuff in the morning and that was okay. But I switched over to like eggs and sausage and avocados. Like that was breakfast every morning. Yeah. And at first I was really worried cause I have a family history of heart disease. You know, I was like, oh man, I don't. I, I was worried I was hurting myself by doing that, you know, but after talking to Neely and talking to Esther, they're like, you're working, you know, 30 to 40 hours a week in the trades, you're climbing, you know, on 514, you know, multiple, you know, six, seven pitches a weekend, like you're burning enough calories. That's not the thing. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, d Yeah. Could we all be 10 pounds lighter and maybe feel a little better? Maybe, but I don't think it's, I don't know. Personally, I don't think it's worth it. Yeah. You know, like if that's really, you know, if you're like overweight, overweight, maybe, but I think otherwise, like, yeah, like eat healthy, just, yeah, train. Well, something you said just resonated with me so strongly, the, the training heavy thing. I mean, the great silver lining in my experience with this whole thing is that I realized like, man, I've been doing this for a decade. Like I wasn't 140 pounds, yeah. but I was 150. And I think my body wanted to be like 160, 165 that whole time. And sure. I was always, uh, I was always suppressing that through mm. my diet and through restriction. And I was also always frustrated with my strength gains, like with my improvement. Yeah. I was training my ass off and not just like training wrecking myself, but like really trying to be smart about my training and yeah. really trying to be strategic and thoughtful and just feeling like I wasn't getting much back from it. And yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> this past year, like just climbing at a heavier weight and doing a little training here and there, I'm like, oh my God, this is dead easy when you're giving your body what it needs. Well, and I mean, I'm not, I have no background in like sports science or health science, yeah. but I know enough, to, you know, to know, like after, you know, talking with, you know, guys like Tyler Nelson and, you know, Eric Hurst, like the guys that have really spent the time looking at like what happens at a cellular level, you know, when we, when we're training and that sort of stuff. And it's like, the reality is like, if you want output, you have to have input, mm. you know? And that was actually something like my, my old boss, my electrician boss used to refer to himself as an opportunivore. <laughs> okay. And at first I thought I was like, you dork. And then I was like, Oh God, I'm an opportunivore too. Like we <laughs> like, we would like to eat healthy, but sometimes we couldn't, you know, we'd be out on mm. a job site or something. And it's like, well, there's an Arby's and it's like, well, 
and I get it now. Like, and I agree with it. I do better when I'm full. Hmm. I would rather have, and I, that now I'm still like, I, we try and eat as healthy as we can, you know, like Lindsay and I are really pretty good about like, we don't, I don't do sugar. We don't do sugar. We might do chocolate every once in a while, but like no processed sugar, you know, we try and be good about that. And I'm, I will always prefer to eat that way. But I also know, like, I know myself well enough to know that if I'm calorie d- deficient, I won't perform well. Hmm. That's just the bottom line. And I would rather have a Big Mac and fries in me than nothing at all, you Hmm. know? So, I mean, and again, everybody's different. You know, I don't, I'm not advocating, I'm not advocating for people to go eat McDonald's. (laughs) Although I had a sausage and egg McMuffin before we left on this trip. And man, that was, that was a real treat. (laughs) Maritz, Maritz also wanted to know if you can do a front lever yet. This sounds like a code name. Does he know me? No, I can't do a front lever yet. I can't. No, that was actually in the Neely podcast. It must have been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, I didn't listen to it. So. I, you know, I always default back to my mechanics. I'm like six foot three, 190 pound dudes don't yeah. do a lot of front levers. But actually, I was just, I was kind of penciling in a new training program for myself this spring. And I was like, that's something I've always wanted to do. And I'm going to start working on the progressions to make that happen because the only way we get these things done is by starting somewhere, you know, you got to start somewhere and keep at it. So not yet. Let's talk in a year. We'll see where we're at in a year. <laughs> nice. Um, check in real quick. How are you feeling? Yeah, good. Good. Okay. We've got, I don't think we should, I don't know if we can get through all these. We've got five more. You tell me, man, this maybe is your I'll, show. Yeah. Maybe I'll pick like almost two hours. <clears throat> Let me read through them real quick. See if there's any like especially good ones. There's one from Steve Bechtel that I definitely want to do. Oh no, no's good. <laughs> he's he's very nice to you. Yeah, uh, it's got, oh yeah. I so yeah. I mean, I'm working with Steve a little bit now. Like I'm helping. Yeah. Teach a couple classes each week, which has been awesome. It's been really fun. Um, yeah. I love the people I work with, and but I mean, like if I've learned anything, I'm like Steve's just gotten more dry and and. <laughs> Uh, wittier about how he likes to throw his friends under the bus. So <laughs> he is, God, he's good at it. Oh man. And I mean, don't... it rubs off on everyone he works with too. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Just hanging out with Charlie and Alex, just hearing how they, yeah, they're all just experts at that nowadays. <sighs> Her own little. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got a plan. I think we're going to skip a couple of these. Um, There's one that's really similar to Steve's question, so we'll cover it there. Uh, This one is from Nolan. I thought this one was really good. He writes, It seems like climbers these days are becoming less exclusive to the traditional style of warming up, um, such as running a lap or two on moderate routes with increasing difficulty, and they're incorporating more modern tools like the flashboard, bands, tension block, etc. Mm-hmm. What does your warm-up look like for a hard red point, especially if there aren't a lot of good options at the crag for your current project? That's a fantastic question. Yeah. I love that. Warming up, you know, I've always said, if you don't have time to warm up, you don't have time to train. Hmm. I will always adhere to that. And I, 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 it, pisses me off when my athletes are like they I you know because I write them down a program and then they I can see what they they did and what they didn't do uh-huh. 
<laughs> and it pisses me off to no end when I don't see the warm up checked off. I'm like, God damn it. Like you got to warm up a, because it prevents injury. Like not warming up is a really great way to hurt yourself. And especially when you're, and it's a great way to not send, you know, especially when you're outside. I would agree completely that the notion of like the classic warm up before like the advent of no hang devices and stuff at the crag, like, yeah, it's definitely going a different way. And I mean, you know, go to any busy crag in the red or rifle or maple, you know, anywhere and you'll see everything. Like you'll see some people warming up, but then there's almost always some dude with a flashboard that's doing something. Sometimes it's, it's good. Sometimes it's not right. And this is fascinating because one of the things that I, one of these PCC presentations that I just got done watching was Dr. Jared Vagie talking about warming up. And he had, I mean, I think his warm up video, I think he's got it on YouTube is fantastic. It's awesome. I'll find it and I'll link to it. In the yeah. Notes. I think it's, I think it's the, uh, and I actually reference it for almost all my athletes on climbing days. Like when they're in the gym, it's the, I think it's the dynamic climbing warm up. Okay. He just incorporates a lot of really cool things. And I mean, it comes from the place of a PT. And I'm going to, I mean, I don't actually know Jared. We've never met, but I'm going to plug him a little bit. Like I would say everybody should check that video out. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube, but he, you know, he goes through like, you know, a number of different ways of like not nerve flossing, but like tendon flossing mm. and stuff like, which is stuff like nobody does that anymore, you know? And like, yeah. So like ways of articulating your fingers and bending at different finger joints. Exactly. And he kind of goes through, he doesn't go into detail, I think where he describes it, but like um, like a number of the exercises in the video actually address that, like mm. getting your, you know, your finger tendons flossing and your wrist tendons flossing and that sort of stuff. I do think that's a great resource for people, you know, route climbing is hard. And I believe me, I, I struggle with this. And I, the first place that comes to mind is the VRG. Like we've spent a fair amount of time climbing there. That place is just notorious for not having great warmups, mm. you know, like the, the level of high climbing that it demands, you you know, like you're basically your buy-in grade is like, there's one 11 D that some people either love or hate. And then it's like your mid five twelve, mm. which, you know, <laughs> there are some people that can warm up on mid five twelve. There are days I can, there are days I can't, <laughs> I can almost always get through it, yeah. but that doesn't mean it's a warm up. Yeah. You know, like I've ruined days <laughs> convincing myself, like I'm strong enough to do this. And it's like, no, man, you just blew your day. Like, um, totally. I think, you know, the flashboards are great for warming up fingers. I think that's always a really good thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I know a lot of people that do it just to mitigate skin loss too. Like instead of grabbing, you know, sharp grips right off the bat, you know, you're grabbing a softer wood edge. Like, I think that's fine. You know, blood flow is really critical, like getting your heart rate up. I don't think you should run a mile before you go climbing, but oftentimes like, you know, the hike to the crag is a good thing. Like if you can kind of keep moving, like instead of getting to the crag and sitting down and dropping the pack and chatting for a while, like keep that warm blood moving. Mm -hmm. I think that's really critical. And then, yeah, if there's not great, I mean, I'm always a fan of warming up on routes for route climbing, you know, like getting a little bit pumped, not a lot, but like, yeah, it's good to get a little bit of that, you know, like blood flow going, get some of the muscle activation going. And I, again, I'm not a science guy, but I also know like you can't effectively get your neuromuscular system firing with like a quick pitch or like get your neuromuscular system firing just by hanging from a flashboard. Like that won't do it. Like you have mm. to have more meaningful engagement, like over a longer period of time. So, I mean, even if it's like, yeah, do the, you know, maybe you want to climb a 12 
plus route or a 513 route, but there's only 110D to really warm up on. You know, I think your warm up, I always like doing warm up pitch that's a little bit like below my pay grade and grovelly. I think that's really so. Like, there's, and I think I'm thinking of one route in particular in Lander. Everybody hates it. They're like, oh, not that thing at the Wild Iris. And I'm like, I love that route. <laughs> I love that route to warm up on because no matter how many times I do it, I bet I've done it a hundred times. It's just always a little bit ugly. Like it's, you know, it's all, I'm always like, what the hell? Like, oh shit. Right. Okay. Yeah. But like, I always got to try a little bit hard. Yeah. You know, like harder than I really feel like I should. Sure. And I'm like, what? Like, what? Wait, no, did somebody break that whole, no, shit, there it is. You know, like, I don't know. Like it just, it all, it never flows, Mm. but I almost always come down warmer than when I went up. If that mm. makes any sense, mm-hmm. not just like temperature warm, but like, I'm just always a little bit like more fired than when I left the ground. Yeah. And I do like that about warming, like warming up shouldn't always, I hate when I see people warming up and they're like flowing all like <laughs> smoothly and stuff. I'm like, it's a warm up. Like you don't have to make it look pretty. Like the goal here is to get the blood going, get the <laughs> fingers going. I have a dear friend, I won't, I won't name names, but he was notorious for always like, it almost looked like he was posing for like a, <laughs> like a video or something. Like he would, he would like move real slowly and like super forced, you know, like, and I'm like, dude, you're wasting so much energy trying to look good on the, you know, the five, nine or whatever. Like, don't do that. You know, like just climb, hurry up. Like, let's go, let's go. Um, but yeah, that can be tough. I would say check out Jared's video. Okay. Check out the dynamic climbing warmup because that's a good one you can do at the bouldering gym. And you can totally do it outside. I was going to ask that, yeah. Yeah, you can totally do it outside. And I mean, he goes through everything, like ranges of motion from like, you know, kind of some hip twisting and a bunch of stuff with like shoulder warming up. And I mean, it, it at least gets you kind of like, get some mobility aspects going. Will you do that after the hike to the cliff or? Yeah. Okay. And I've done it at the cliff for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, on a cold, windy day, you know, at the blasphemy wall, it's like, yeah, I can't warm up on the 12C high flames drifter. Like I can't, I want to, but I can't. So it's like, maybe I can get that out as a second pitch if I'm having a good session. But you know, a lot of times it's like, well, I need something else. So I've mm. done the, you know, that warm up there, but I do think, yeah, climbing something like some sort of pitch, you know, and, and, and like, again, you know, training tip here, like vary the tempo, you know, if it's, hmm. you know, if you're, if like, let's say you want to climb a 13A and there's only a 11B, to warm up on like 11 B is probably not going to warm you up for 13 a, you know, or whatever, like whatever that distance is between grades, do the 11 B once. And then, you know, come back down and run that like super fast lap of it, Hmm. you know, like climb at, you know, twice speed or something like that. I mean, that kind of stuff can be really beneficial coupled with, yeah, maybe some mobility work and, you know, some like pin poles on the flashboard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff can go a long way Hmm. for sure. But I, I am a I am a believer of if you have the ability to climb a route before going route climbing, you know, like that's that's a good thing. Yeah. Because you just can't mimic that kind of blood flow. Yeah. You know, and like getting the, you know, the capillarity in your forearms kind of firing, just, you know, doing just stretching on the ground. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. That's super useful. Appreciate that. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, from Steve Bechtel. He's got a couple questions for you. Uh, the first one, he said, Leif had a really severe finger injury, maybe 12 to 15 years ago that might have been a career ender. It would be great to know about how he got past it and continues to deal with it. 
Yeah. Wow. Taking me down the dark place. No, uh, <laughs> I did. I was climbing in Lander and I blew out all the pulleys. All the pulleys? In my ring finger. We were, it, it's funny. I wish, this is why I wish BJ were here with us because he was there that day. And it's, he said it sounded like a gunshot. Fucking it, a, dude. Yeah. It just, I was, and I was, you know, I was. Is it your ring finger? Ring finger. Yeah. Is it like all. <laughs> it's permanently. Yeah. For, for like your bowstring. Yeah, well, for your viewers. Yeah. It's, it's at 90 degrees. Like that's just where it lives. Oh, and wait. That's, that's it. Oh my God. It doesn't move. That's, that's what it does. I can, I still have flexion, but I have no extension past whatever that is. Like, can you just degrees. like sky hook with it? Just like, hang I mean, a, I always tell people, yeah, if I get a big giant a jug, I can't let go of it. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. So, it, and it was pretty, it was extremely detrimental. I mean, I knew I had done some pulley damage at the time, but it, it took, that was a really weird time. I had my appendix burst and I was in and out of the hospital, like for months. And it was only after I was healing from my, my appendectomy that I noticed this finger starting to curl and mm. then, you know, had the MRI and they're like, yeah, basically you have no pulleys in your finger anymore and it's like going to be useless. So they took a donor tendon out of my, the opposite form and they basically like wrapped the tendon, the flexor tendon and the bone kind of like a shoestring, like they tie it up and then they tie it like a shoestring. <laughs> so they did that in two spots and those are my new pulleys. What? And it's bent like this because I, the physical therapy just fell short. They were really huh. worried I wasn't going to get like the flexion strength back. And so they really had me, and I went to, I mean, they're not, they weren't bad therapists. They just never, I was in, it was in Cody. They'd never seen anything like this before. Sure. They didn't know. Yeah. And I mean, but yeah, basically like it's scar tissued in this position. That's like where that came from. And it was, that was in the, that was in the, I did that in, at the climbers festival. Uh, it was a year I had to take off of climbing. Like, wow. I mean like nothing, I didn't, they didn't, he didn't allow me, the surgeon didn't allow me to grab anything heavier than a can of, I couldn't grab a can of Coke for six months. Mm. It was like nothing. You like, you can't use this finger for anything just because they were really worried that that like those new like pulley graphs wouldn't hold. Mm. And that was, I don't want to say it was debilitating. That was a really hard place to come back from. Yeah. Mostly because I had just, I mean, I lost so much fitness in that time. Like that happened during the late fall when we kind of realized what had happened. And by the time surgery was done, you know, it was like October or something like that. And, uh, which basically meant that I couldn't, you know, I could, there was very little training I could do at the time. And we were kind of in a weird place in life. Like we had just sold Lindsay's house in Lander and we were like, not sure where we were going to move and all this sort of, and we were sort of like transient and, and staying at a, at a, a little rental in Cody. And we were like, we wanted to go on the road and we're like, we're just going to work. So I just, you know, I, I helped a guy do some construction kind of one handed <laughs> for six months. Um, and, uh, and when I actually was kind of like at that stage where I could start climbing again, it just felt really, I was like, I've lost more ground than I'll ever be able to make up. Hmm. You know, like I just, it was really hard for me to see past that. And I kind of, hmm. you know, whatever, I had a little bit of a pity party, like, oh, sure. I'm, you know, I can't climb 513 now. And how hard were you climbing at the time? Uh, like, uh, that was 2007. I mean, I had climbed... 
13 plus okay 14 minus yeah not that i think i had i had done a new, a new route at the wild iris which i think i called it 14a but it's, i think it's settled in at 13d okay but either way like you know like a high end like yeah. very high end and yeah. i think when i first started climbing again after i kind of got through this that was i was climbing like i think i did one five ten and was you know just like fatigued just wrecked and i mean there was only i mean there was only so much training i could do but i also didn't want to i'm like what yeah. am i you know what am i going to do like uh, now's a good time to just make money we went on a road trip shortly after that and that was one of the first places we went was the red and i i knew that it would come back i was like okay i'm gonna get back to some level but i really used those, I mean, I think we were in the red for like, maybe like two months, something like that on that trip. I was like, I'm going to go to the undertow wall and just blast myself. I mean, I really treated, I treated it less like a road trip and more like training, mm. you know, like not, maybe not like consciously, but I was like, I'm going to do as many pitches as I can. Yeah. I'm just going to like, I got to just try and do, you know, just exhaust myself. And, and then through that, it actually my fitness levels came back faster than I thought they would for sure. But I mean, yeah, it was, it was hard. You know, I coached the kids climbing team during that period. And that was, that was really difficult. Like seeing all these young kids climbing and I'd see them do something. And I'd be like, Oh, I, you know, and I'd want to get on the wall and like show them and I couldn't, and I was like, Oh, this is killing me. Um, yeah. Was it like, I mean, people have undergone far worse injuries, you know, but um, I, I guess I knew that, I yeah, this is going to sound so corny. I don't even Go for it. it. Uh, <laughs> I knew it's like, you know what? If you put the work in, it's going to come back. That's awesome. Like if you yeah. put your mind to it, like it will come back. And it did. And it came back faster, you know, better than ever. And, and I've climbed harder since yeah. then. You know, I think part of his question was, yeah, like I have serious limitations with this hand. Yeah. Slopers are very, very difficult. Like I lose that which you wouldn't think like one finger would be that much. Yeah. But it's basically like I get these two fingers in my palm. Like the pinky does very little because the pinky, like these, you know, the connective tissues between your pinky and your ring finger are actually tied pretty closely together. Like oh. when they kind of come back. Okay. So the pinky has naturally sort of started to like curl up. So <laughs> I get, I get like slopers with the right hand are difficult. Yeah. So um, for listeners, your ring finger, you're holding your right, your yeah. right hand out right now. Yep. All your fingers should be flat like a flat palm yeah and your ring finger is bent at a 90 degrees at what joint is that the middle uh, whatever the middle knuckle second yeah. knuckle yeah yeah and then you know the pinky can kind of go flat if i really smash it down but <laughs> um you know the big it the, looks like it's half crimping yeah um, all the time there are yes of course there are times when it is advantageous hmm. because it won't bend so if I can get it on something that's like <laughs> fairly sky you know, yeah, like it's, it kind of can act like a skyhook. That can also be <laughs> horribly detrimental. Like it gets hung up. I can't release oh, it. God. So like when I want to let go of something and actually this fucking place is the worst <laughs> because the texture of the rock will like grip it. Uh, and I'm like, oh God, I want to let go of something. And this finger is like, oh no, we're here. <laughs> and it just stays. And I, there's been two problems here Jeez. that I have just ripped off of. And I'm like, do I even have a finger pad anymore? I mean, yeah, it's pros and cons. The biggest thing is underclings. 
that mm. was the I really have always wanted to do um Atomic Cow on the Rodeo Wave. That was always a real like 13D. 13D goal of mine. I was like, man, such a because I'd done both Atomic Stetson and Cow Reggae, and it's just such a pretty line. Like it's such cool climbing. Yeah. The crux of that, you know, like right off the ground is like you got to reach up high above your head into this undercling. But because I can't feed into things straight, yeah, I have to like cock my wrist yeah. to try and like hook it up into things. <laughs> and I swear to God, I thought last time I tried that thing, I thought my like elbow was just going to like explode 90 degrees the wrong Jeez. way. And I was like, and that was one of those things I'm sure I could probably figure it out. But it was like, I may just have to scratch this route, you know, yeah. like every once in a while there are, some, there's something where it's like, this is a real hindrance hmm. and it really hoses me. But like with any injury, it, like I've adapted, you know, and, and I, I've seen a PT at, at the university when we were living in Utah and they're like, oh yeah, we can straighten that thing out. You know, it's going to be painful as hell and it's going to take five or six months, but we'll get it straight or whatever. And I mean, at some point I'll probably have it addressed, but you know, that was 2007 that I did that, you know? So at this point now it's like, I've learned to live with it so long. Yeah. I'm like, well, okay, maybe there's just some things I can't do, but more often than not, I find a way around it. Yeah. I, I more than anything, I tend to pistol point a lot. <laughs> like if I'm trying to like, if I use my hands to say something, it feels weird to like have this one knuckle. So I do a lot of like, you know, I'm making the gun motion with my fingers right now. It's like, I do the pistol thing a lot. Well, I was like, sitting here wondering, I was like, how did I not notice that until you mentioned it? I'm really good at giving people the shocker when I handshake, you know, like it's just this hidden thing that like goose them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's an injury. It was a big injury, but yeah. I mean, yeah, just, I don't know. Yeah. Staying positive. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I feel silly complaining about something like this, you know, like. We have people who die in the, you know, in the climbing community, people who lose, lose their lives and have, you know, serious car accidents and stuff. And it's like, oh, you hurt your finger climbing, like hmm. big deal. So I really, I really try not. I mean, at this point, I don't think about it anymore. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, this is my weird trick finger. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my sky hook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I never, I've never called it that. Maybe that's a new thing. <laughs> this is another one from Steve. Um, or actually I'll just ask. Uh, I'll ask you to tell me about Strawberry Roan. Oh man, one of the coolest experiences climbing. The Strawberry Roan is a route for your listeners that aren't familiar with it. The Strawberry Roan is a route um, that Todd Skinner bolted when he moved to Lander. I don't, you know, and I'm, I feel bad for saying this. I'm not sure when. I think it was early '90s. You know, maybe like '90. I want to say that the first routes that the Iris went up in 94, but I feel like it was maybe even earlier than that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. One of the very first routes he bolted, it's this very striking arete in the Little Papoja Canyon, kind of behind the Wild Iris, mm. uh, where Wolf Point and Ghost Town and some of those other kind of like mega crags are at. And it's very visible. Like, it's really, really pretty. It's this gorgeous, like, red washed kind of like slab with this hanging arete. Mm. Is it sandstone? No, it's limestone. Oh, it is. It's okay. limestone, but it's a really, it's really unique, even for the area. Yeah. I don't know. There's something in the soil, you know, that has caused like this reddish tint. And I mean, it's like red and pink. Yeah, I've seen, like, it's, I've seen I photos mean, of it and I thought it was it's, I mean, that's not Photoshop. It's like yeah. red. That's cool. Really, really super, super high quality limestone on the upper half. The bottom half is a little garbagey, but that's just the nature of 
Lander Limestone in that area, um, that particular band. But Todd bolted the thing, took some photos on it, and never went back for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, it was funny because at the time, I was doing a lot with Evolve. And I was working with a really great athlete manager, Jeff Kenyon there. And I wanted to just do more for the company. I was like, you guys are, you know, really hooking me up with shoes and I'm really grateful for that. And I really want to like, I want to do a video. And Jeff was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, shit, I don't know. You tell me like, what, what should I do? And he's like, well, I don't know. Come up with something. You know, he's like, yeah, let's, let's do a little promo video. I was like, okay. It's like, wow, nobody wants to watch me do anything. I don't know what to do. <laughs> And I had met Chris Hampton, I don't know, a couple years before, maybe something like that at the, at the festival, he's been coming out for a number of years. And I reached out to him. He was, he's on the Evolve team. Okay. And I said, yo dude, like, I want to do this video, like a promo video for Evolve. Like, what do you, what do you think? He's like, yeah, yeah. And we talked about maybe like trying to bolt a line and then free climb it, you know, like, like something hardish or whatever. And we were kind of like, "Eh, maybe that'll work. I don't know. And I don't even know how, I feel like Chris was the one that suggested it, but he was like, what about the strawberry roan? Hmm. And immediately I was like, oh yeah, wait, I don't know anything about that thing. <laughs> I mean, I knew it was there, but I didn't, we didn't, nobody really knew anything about it. Yeah. And I started asking around and there were a couple of climbers in Lander who had gone up and tried it. Tom Rangich, our friend Tom Rangich, who's an ER doc in town, had gone up. And most notably, our friend Ty Mack, who now lives in Victor, Idaho, or yeah, I think he's in Victor Triggs. I can't remember. He owns, he's a, owns a really cool bake shop. He's a, an artisan bread baker. Okay. And Ty was kind of one of the older guard climbers that used to live in Lander. I went on a couple road trips with him when I was a kid in high school and Ty had climbed on it. And I called Ty and he's like, oh yeah, man. He's like, that thing's so cool. He's like, but I, I, I don't know. He's like, it could be 13A or it could be 14A. He's like, I've, I just have no idea, hmm. you know? And we were like, okay, this is cool. We got to go do this thing. So Chris and I kind of coordinated and we, we took, I think it was like a little over two and a half weeks. Cause the, fe- we wanted to try and do it, time it during the festival when he was coming out. Cause he was still living in Cincinnati at the time. Okay, I was down in Salt Lake and we, I think, you know, we were like, well, I think he and Anna came out, his, his now wife, she was, they were dating at the time they came out, but like Lindsay couldn't join me. She was working. I got an extra week off of work. So like busted up to Lander, Chris and Anna did the lion's job, lion's share job of hauling all the gear up there. <laughs> like Chris hauled a bin and the rope and, and draws and stuff. And at the time it was like, oh man, there was no trail to it. You know? And I mean, for anyone who's been to the little Popoja you know, they'll understand like, it's definitely like not rifle, you know I mean? Mm. Like, and the road is actually really not that bad. There's a better trail now, but I mean, at the time it was like, you know, I mean, you're, you're at elevation, you're, we were kind of bushwhacking up this hill and we got up there and I was like, oh my God. And you know, no one had climbed on the thing in like 10 or 15 years, something like that. And you know, there were a couple old tattered fixed lines hanging up there and we kind of cleaned those up and we just started the process of, which was really cool because I'd never, I mean, I climbed with Lindsay a little bit and like with BJ and with other friends, but I'd never been like, here's two climbers of similar abilities, just addressing this thing. We know nothing about it. There's mm-hmm. no beta. I mean, we were digging dirt out of pockets and, you know, I mean, it was just filthy. Hmm. And we just, that the process was incredibly organic, hmm. if that makes any sense, you know, like we just started. And I mean, we were hitting it hard, you know, going up there, 
we endured rainstorms and windstorms and, you know, hot sun and whatever. And, and really quickly we were like, well, I mean, it's all there, but like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to grade this thing. Like if you do it just perfectly right, yeah, maybe it doesn't seem that bad, but if you're out of balance a little bit, it seems impossible, you know, mm. like I, um, super balancey technical. It reminded me of vicious fish. That was the very okay. first thing that came to mind for, you know, listeners, the vicious fish is that 13 C uh, D right. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's, yeah. It's Smith, just a real subtle arete. And, uh, I mean, the climbing itself is phenomenal. It's like little crux right off the ground, you know, nice, like kind of warm up I don't know, 11 plus section through the bottom half. And then you just hit this like red head wall and you do like, I don't know, like maybe 13 minus climbing to kind of gain the arete. And then your right hand doesn't leave the arete for 40 feet, mm. something like that. I mean, it's 90 degrees. And I think Ty joked with me. He's like, I think there's only three left hand holds on the whole route. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. and then you get up there. It's like, oh shit, he wasn't kidding. Like there's just <laughs> nothing. It's just this, like the rock is beautiful, but it's just blank. Huh. And it was really cool because like Chris and I, as we were climbing on it, like our high points were matching each other, oh, right? Like every day awesome. we would go out, we'd just push the high point a little bit higher and a little bit higher and a little bit higher. And that was just such a fun process. And, you know, we ended up making the video and whatever, that was really cool, but it was the video, which I think might still be floating around out there somewhere, makes it look like real happy, you okay. know, like a real jovial experience, which it was not. <laughs> Like, I mean, we <laughs> battled that thing day in and day out. And it was literally one of the last nights of the festival, of the Climbers Festival, the, the International Climbers Festival. And we went up on just a Hail Mary attempt. It was like, this is the last day. And I went up once and Chris went up once and we both fell and we were like, this is fucked. Like, this isn't happening. <laughs> this is too hard. And Lindsay was like, you should go one more time. I'm like whatever there's a camera here i'll go and i did i really didn't want to and i just didn't care i just mm. didn't i just didn't give a shit anymore i was like this thing's too hard like whatever and yeah managed to i don't know steve urkel my way to the top of the thing <laughs> <laughs> and i mean it was very just like oh my god like how did that even happen i mean it was just it was really cool hmm. um sending a historical todd skinner project that was incredibly meaningful Hmm. Um, that was really, really special just because I'd grown up watching Todd and it was really, I don't know, it meant a lot to me to be able to like claim one of those FAs that he left behind. That was really special. I would say equally as special was Chris, who was a buddy when we started, like we became really, really great friends through that process. And hmm. I, I take that with me almost more than. I mean, the FA is cool, but like my friendship with Chris is still ongoing. And that was really like, I couldn't have done it without him. You know, mm. like he, he pointed out, I don't, you know, whatever, like you're working a route with somebody. It's like, it's like, oh, what if you move your foot this way? It's like, oh, oh, I didn't even think about that. Like, oh, totally. That unlocked that sequence or whatever. I mean, that whole process is how that went. And that was really, really special. That was really cool. So, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's a stunner line. That's awesome. So, yeah. So, yeah. What did it turn out to be? Grade-wise? Yeah, yeah. I, w we called it 13D. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that there's better beta. Lindsay actually just did it this year. Oh, awesome. And Which was really cool. And she found a sequence that was, like, wildly different Whoa. than what I or Chris was working on. I was just like, what? When I was down there blaring, what the like she's turning around the other way you know i think i mean i think some people call it c some people call it d it's one of those routes like 
I, yeah, I could, I could see it being 13 B or 14 a, Wow. you know, it's just, it's like, if you do it correctly, it's maybe not that bad, hmm. but if you do it incorrectly, it's like, you know, I mean, it just like, doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think 13 <laughs> plus is fair. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean, in the end, I think a lot of people have agreed. It's like, whatever, call it 13 C, call it 13 D. It doesn't matter. Like it's the line. Yeah. You know, you look up there and you're like, that's a laser cut a ret hanging, you know, a thousand feet over the river. I mean, it's just like the <laughs> line so is cool. just stunning, you know? So that's, yeah, it's just a cool piece of rock. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. I've got a couple other questions here that I think I'm going to skip. I think we covered, you know, at least, at least similar Some enough ground content. Um, I'm going to ask one final listener question from Darren, our friend, Darren, uh, wait a minute. D flack. D flack. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. <laughs> He he wants the he wants the deets. He wrote, "Now that Leif is back in Lander, what are his big sending goals? And does he have a dream route in Lander?" Oh, good question, Darren. Big sending goals. Um, yeah, I've got I've got a, a preliminary tick list. You know, it's fun to come back to Lander. We were gone for about twelve years, thirteen years. And when we, when Lindsay and I left Lander, it was still a really small climbing town. Mm. You know, there were only about a dozen climbers, period, um, which was actually really difficult sometimes, like, mm. especially for Lindsay, she was working in healthcare as a pharmacist at the time. And, and that was really hard for her. Like I could, you know, BJ and I were working for Andy Skiba and if the, it was sunny, we could be like, yo, Andy, dude, can we like get out there and go climbing? <laughs> which is like, that's how you got to do it in Lander, right? Like yeah. we get all these Sundays, but you have to be able to go out when the sun is shining. Like you can't just assume that it's going to be sunny on the weekend. So if it's like, you know, Tuesday at 10, it, you know, and it's a good day. It's like, we got to, we, you know, we got to hustle up there or whatever. Um, you know, when we left, there was, you know, I, I felt like I had kind of hit a little bit of a ceiling with where I was at climbing wise, just in grades. I was like, I've kind of, you know, cherry picked, I've done the low hanging fruit, but now I really got to dig into hard things or whatever. And Lindsay was really having a hard time just even just getting out, you know, she couldn't get out with the frequency that I could, um, coming back now, the community has really grown, you know, Steve's got his gym, which is awesome. And there's been a ton of root development, mm -hmm. you know, like Wolf Point didn't exist. A lot of the yeah. stuff in the little Poposha Canyon didn't exist. A lot of the other areas, you know, in sinks and the iris have filled out. There's a lot of satellite crags. Bouldering has taken off, you know, tremendously since we left. Um, so it's really fun to come back to like what feels still like my old hometown and now there's all these new routes. Oh, that's awesome. Um, which yeah. is really, really fun. So <laughs> yeah, there's a, a really cool looking 14A old Skinner line up at Ghost Town, which is a small kind of satellite cliff in the little Poposia Canyon. And I always mess up the name. I can't remember if it's Walking Dead or Day of the Dead. But I climbed on the like the 13C version of that. And there's a 14A direct start that BJ did a couple years ago. Um, I really want to do that thing this year that, that it's, I think that'll suit me well, cool. maybe favors the taller climber a little bit better. So, um, and it's just a really cool looking line, like really great rock. There's lots of roots at Wolf Point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've done, you know, I've done a handful, uh, again, of some of the low hanging fruit, but I mean, those, I mean, those you could spend 
I could spend the next 15 years, oh. you know, just going to that crag. It's just that it's also not my style. Okay. Like they're, they're, they're really big roots. They're really like, you know, resistancy and kind of endurancy. And that's something I've always really struggled with. Mm. I don't, I don't do well with endurance based roots. I really don't. But I mean, I'm super stoked. Do you think that's a size thing? Like, is it just harder for bigger climbers to do endurance routes? You know, I don't know. And I don't, I would, I would be hesitant to make a statement like that. Cause okay. I just feel like for so many climbers, you know, like I, there's another guy in Salt Lake. Uh, his name is Trent Baker. He's a really accomplished climber. He's, I think Trent's even bigger than me. I think Trent's like six, four, hmm. like two ten, two fifteen. 215. Damn. That, dude, that dude's an awesome endurance climber like huh. we're going to the pipe dream and just crush like could hang out for days you know like he, wow. he did really well with that kind of climbing i just don't like it's just not okay my thing but I, I you know i'm always like it's hard to walk up to wolf point and not want to like you know <laughs> get up on the top head wall yeah. so i mean there's there's yeah. there's not that i have a specific project there but um i mean i know we'll be climbing in there there's a at the strawberry roan crag that's actually filled out a little bit more now and there's a number of routes and I climbed I got decently close on a 14A there this last summer called Hellbound okay uh which is kind of a different style certainly than the Rhone but yeah I'd like to check that out and honestly I'm just re I'm the Little Papoja Canyon is really really cool I think that's the future or at least the immediate future of lander climbing. And I'm really excited to go in there and kind of explore more Oh, cool! and maybe add some of my own roots, you know, and kind of fill in some of that. Like I just, I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty special place, you know? Yeah. I'm pretty excited for that. So that's, that's kind of on the, the, the immediate dock. Step one, get the house built, <laughs> get the gym built, and then we'll, then we'll transition to the Canyon. He also wanted to know, does it feel like a disadvantage being a big dude pulling on small monos and lander? Oh, Darren. <laughs> uh, does it feel like a disadvantage? No, it doesn't feel like a disadvantage. Huh, nice. And I'm going to say that because my attitude has changed. Okay. <laughs> well, no, I mean, and it's when I left Lander, it was like, well, fine, show me a, a Route 13C or harder that doesn't have a mono on it. Mm. Like, that list is pretty small, mm. regardless of the crag. Like, I mean, monos, Lander's a pocket town. Mono's bound. That's just part of it. I just approach it smarter now. Okay. You know, like when we were younger, it was just like, ah, oh, monos, you know? And I mean, actually it's funny when they, when he opened up my, my ring finger, he's like, you know, your, your pulleys were elastic. He's like, there was hardly any living tissue in there. He's like, it was all just scar tissue, you know? And he's like, did you, Whoa. did you have problems with this finger before? And I was like, well, no, it felt fine. And he's like, well, I'd be pretty careful of your other fingers if I were you. And it made me think like, oh God, what have I done? You know, as a kid, like I didn't think anything of it. Just like, you know, shoving fingers in monos all the time. Now it's like monos are no different than any other, like, I don't know, like small crimps or, you know, drinking too many beers, not having enough water and climbing at Smith. Like, I mean, it can all be really dangerous, right? Like you just got to approach monos a little bit smarter. And I definitely seek out the ones with the deep monos, not the shallow ones. You got to go deep. Yeah. And like a pretty good size minimum diameter. Well, yeah, that's another one. Yeah. No more. There was a time when I was shoving pinkies and ring fingers. Yeah. And now it's like, no, 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 no. We, we got to... I need the Husky Boy monos. <laughs> I need the Shrek monos. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> 
Well, awesome. That is about all I've got. Um, I always ask this question. I would love to ask, what is something that you've been feeling especially grateful for lately? Oh, that's easy. Uh, our friends and family. Hmm. You know, I mean, obviously, I think, you know, everybody has, like I said, everybody has a COVID story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, man, what a, I mean, you know, pardon my language, what a fucked up time. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, like, no mm -hmm. matter where you're at on the political scale, like this last year has been, you know, had people all over the place, you know, with that. But I mean, like, yeah, the coronavirus has been hard, you know, like, I feel very fortunate. You know, nobody I know in my family has gotten sick, you know, but I know a lot of people have been really impacted and we've been so blessed. Like we've had a stream of income. We've been healthy you know, same all my family and friends, but like, yeah, the ability to have such great friends welcome us back to Lander and like really help us like get back on our feet there mm. that, I mean, we couldn't have done it without them. And I mean, we're really excited for this next evolution in our lives. And we owe that not just to, you know, making some good decisions on our own, but you know, the generosity of our friends. So yeah, very grateful for that. Cool. And the ability to come down, you know, like yeah. take a vacation to Waco Tanks. That feels pretty special right yeah. now. You yeah. Know? So, yeah. Sure does. Uh, where can people find out more about Substrate? Are you taking clients right now? I am. Yeah, I okay. am. I am. I mean, I definitely have a bandwidth, but I'm, you know, like that I have to work within, but I'm not there yet. So okay. uh, the website is just www.substrateclimbing.com. Um, it's the substrate spelled with the eight. We, oh yes. Yes. With the, with the numeral eight. Okay. Um, substrate and then eight. Yep. Yeah. And I'm, it yeah, it's on, it's on, I've got a substrate Instagram account okay. as well as my, my personal Instagram account. Um, there's links to all those, but yeah. And, uh, I always encourage people, the website is still like version one. Okay. And there's, I mean, it was kind of the, the quickest thing I could come up with, but there's, I, you know, people, all training is different and I really do approach it from every athlete is different and I don't like to do any sort of template programs. Every program I, I write is specific and unique to that athlete. And if people have questions, like by all means, feel free to message me on Instagram, email me, whatever. I mean, I'm always happy to discuss what we need to do, you know, program wise or pricing wise or whatever. So yeah. Awesome. Cool. Cool, man. Yeah. Anything else you got? Anything else you want to share with listeners, potential clients, climbers? I, you know, other the rumors are true. It takes at least two weeks to get in shape for this place. That's, that's all. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm bummed, man. Today was the first day my skin felt good. And I'm like, sweet, just in time to roll home. <laughs> but no, good prep for the spring. So yeah. awesome. No, thanks for having me. This has been fun. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time. I'm really glad it worked out Absolutely. Before, you, yep. before you headed out. So yeah. Cool. All right. Right on, man. Thanks, dude. Cheers. See ya. Like we do it.